0: This is episode five of Alohomora for June seventeenth, two thousand twelve. All right, everybody, welcome to Alohomora again. We're rereading the books, one book at a time, one chapter at a time. Actually, two chapters at a time. But today, I'm Noah.
1: I'm Rosie. And I'm Kat. And I want to welcome to the show this week, Maya, who's our special fan guest. She's 14 years old and is from Israel. Maya, um, say hi and tell the fans a little bit about yourself. Okay, hi, I'm really
2: happy to be here. Um, I'm Maya, as you said, Um, 10th grade, Israel, Ravenclaw. Kind of crazy. I love to read, love to write. Um, What do you write? Novels, like I want to, I'm starting. So do I. Like, cool. Yeah. I really didn't have a lot of time in my life to actually write anything really good,
0: but. Well, I mean, you're still you're still young, so you'll you'll get there. Um, and you said you, you've been following Loamore for a little while, and you said you had some question about the wands we were doing on a, another episode. You had an opinion.
2: Yeah, because on the third episode. You said that um, everybody was really happy with their wands, and I didn't have time to comment because everybody who commented said they were happy. And actually, at first, now I'm really happy with my wand, but at first, I really didn't like it. I I looked at the wand woods. I actually read every single one, and I was like, "Oh my God, this one is so much better for me." But I got spruce, and now after you talked about um, how the wand wood, the qualities of it, are actually good for the person. Actually suit the same person too. Uh, I started to like it more because it said unskilled wand makers call spruce a difficult wood but in doing so they reveal their own ineptitude um, <laughs> so it's kind of yeah it's kind of like a Hermione trait that people who get to know you at first don't really like you that much, most of them at least and Is they that your really experience? have to yeah with me with myself.
1: <laughs> oh you seem so people. sweet I, I don't I don't believe that. <laughs> Thank you. Sure.
0: Well, a lot of people were commenting that with the wand descriptions, it was something like a cold reading, which a lot of magicians do, a lot of uh, you know psychics do, mm-hmm. which is to say that some of these descriptions are kind of broad, that kind of lure you in, and you know, suddenly whatever you get, you just believe works with you, just because of the way it was written. So it's either that, or what I choose to believe is the fact that these descriptions are kind of accurate based on these little questions that J.K. Rowling devised, so it's good to hear that your wand works for you, but... You know, keep mailing in your experiences. Other fans listening to the show, if your wand did not work with you,
1: yeah, and uh, we'll probably read them on the
3: show, much like the ones we're going to read right now. So let's hop right into that. Yeah, we've had plenty of comments on our discussions from our previous weeks, um, and we're going to just start off with our discussion of the Gamps Laws, um, which we've been really, we've been struggling to try and find out which ones are the actual Gamps Laws. So we've been asking you guys, and we've had a few suggestions. Um, Slytherin Girl has said on our main site that Gamp's laws of elemental transfiguration are food, air, electricity, fire, and water. Um, However, Incognito Valentino, um, also on the main site, has said that Hermione clearly states in Deathly Hallows that the five exceptions are food, money, love, intelligence, and life. She Um, does? Apparently. Can anyone find this quote out there in the fandom? We've we've been struggling to find it ourselves. Yeah, I mean... I looked everywhere and couldn't find
1: it. Um, he or she also mentioned that maybe Joe is the one that said that. But even when I researched trying to find that quote, I couldn't. So if anybody out there is aware of this, please send it to us so we can so we can get this right. But what do we think about Slytherin girls' um, choices here? How do we feel about those? I mean, I
0: feel electricity, you know, if you want to just talk about energy. Energy can't be generated from nothing. I guess is the idea going here, mm-hmm. and and that that makes sense. But I feel as if uh, we were talking in the last episode. If you have some elements working, you can combine them with others. Magic is the super stimulus, and then you can kind of generate energy. And electricity itself seems kind of a you know very specific one for this list. I would just say energy in general. You can't create energy out of nothing, and that that would follow along with food. Now, especially thing
3: is that. Yeah. Um, the Wizarding World doesn't use electricity. Exactly. Um, especially with Mr. Weasley's comments. Um, like, what is the use of a plug?
0: Yeah, so, so maybe we can, say, we can say energy for that one. Yeah. Now, now, food, we know that's, that's true. But again, I'm going to hold to my belief that while you can create things in, that form the appearance of food, you know, such things that you could even eat quite enjoyably, they would provide no nutrients for you. So in that way, you can't create food with nutrients. But... Now there's also air in this example from Slytherin girl, and I, I, th- I think you can probably create air just by manipulating the, you know, the elements in whatever.
1: But you'd be creating oxygen, right? I mean, not like air, because air has a lot of components to it, right? I mean, it's not just oxygen.
0: That's true, but you don't think there's a spell that we can manipulate whatever elements are in the, you know, air. Or vacuum that you're in that you could possibly create air. I don't know. It's, we can keep this debate going, but yeah, I don't.
1: No, I, I see. I mean, I see what you're saying. Yes and no, I guess.
0: There, are, there are plenty of ways for for somebody of magic to create a to let them breathe in an, in an atmosphere, whatever it is. I'm sure.
1: Yeah. Um, if,
0: if wizards go into space.
1: Well, it's funny because too. I mean, pretty much everywhere: Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, the main site, the forums. Everyone pointed out to us that. There's no way that you can transfigure the elements because then the philosopher's stone would be unnecessary. That's true. Basically, everyone kept saying that's what nuclear fission is, and you know how would wizards be able to do that?
0: I, I just love the whole debate tying into science and stuff. I don't, I don't think this talk has really happened before on such a large scale. Yeah. So, props to the fans. And said, uh, though,
3: I think I do like the the second suggestion of list more in terms of Potter, the, the idea of love, intelligence, and life rather than electricity, fire, and water, and that kind of thing. Um, well, isn't that kind of an
0: ancient tradition? You can't magically create love.
3: Yeah, which I think we we see that most clearly in the Potter series with um, Tom Riddle, a uh, senior. Right, right. And the fact that once he once the love potion wears off, he just abandons Merope and, and Tom Riddle Jr.
0: That's true, and that created some kind of love, but... Clearly not the real thing. What about a uh, life? It makes sense that uh, you can't you can't create life. I mean, we did talk about that with uh, McGonagall creating the pig, but we've kind of a, ex- we've kind of decided at this point that that wasn't a genuinely real pig, a real life form. So I, I would I would believe that you can't reanimate life, you can't bring back from the dead, and that kind of fits all in the same category. Would you agree with that, Maya? and others?
2: Um. Well, m- uh, when Hermione talks about Goncela she says that. It's true to um, like transfiguring something out of air, making something out of air. She doesn't say that you can't turn something from a desk to a pig.
0: But is but that a real pig? She says,
2: she says you, can't, you can't summon food, but you can't turn things into food. So you can maybe you can create life out of, well, I don't know how that would work,
1: but you can create out of.
0: I, I, st- I still don't believe that you can create an animate object from a non animate object.
1: Because no, I, I don't either. I mean, isn't that why death gave, you know, the, the Peverell brothers, the Resurrection Stone, because there was no other way to kind of bring life back.
0: And I even, mean, then, in, you, and in, even
1: you, then, they're not back, right? That didn't really work
2: the best. It didn't really make them alive again.
0: Right. It only it kind of brought them back in the sense that they could possibly see and, you know, kind of be with the living person, their loved ones, but they couldn't actually be there. So it was like this torture, almost like the Mirror of Erised, which we'll get to later. But... The, you know, there's, there's a subtle difference between bringing someone back who's pre-existing and then creating something out of nothing or creating a living soul from nothing. Um,
1: right, like the desk pig.
0: Like, right. the, like the desk pig, which I, I refuse to believe because that would make uh, witches and wizards like gods in a way, creating Oh, life. wait.
2: Didn't you say that wands and brooms have like thoughts because – have kind of emotions because they're made from trees? Yeah. So if it's from a desk, You did say that. Yeah. So the desk is made from a tree too. If it's a wooden desk,
0: that's true. There's some life that could be essentially part of that, based on the tree. But is the unless that tree is the spirit has died after having been made into a desk? (laughs) Well, This conversation can keep going on. Yeah. I think what we agreed with with the wands and the, you know, the wands and the brooms. They're more reactionary. They don't really have. They can't process thoughts, but. Because of their once having been a part of this living thing, they have a natural connection to like humans, and that's why the magic can be produced and have effects. Right. Maya, would you eat the desk pig? What? Would you eat the desk pig? Hypothetically speaking. Um.
2: Yeah, I might. All right. Maybe just the problem that it could turn back into wood in
3: in my stomach. stomach. <laughs> that would, yeah. That would definitely. Be nice. But we've talked this desk pig to actual death now. Um, so let's let's finish off this discussion with a couple more comments um, from the fans out there. Um, so, Inspirement on the forums says, "I think eating a transfigured pig is strongly discouraged because what would happen if the charm wore off in your stomach? I don't think it would be good. Now imagine if you ate something transfigured from something made of iron. Ouch!" Ooh, yeah, that.
1: That would be rough on the stomach.
3: Yeah, and well, you would get everything. a lot of
1: iron. Yeah, and af- everything that
3: comes after the stomach.
0: Well, I believe KY uh, Kid on the forums mentioned that this would actually just be great for your bloodstream. You get all that iron.
3: Well, I'm sure sh- too much iron would be a problem as well, though. Yeah, no, that's true. Anyway, <laughs> so let's just
2: agree that you shouldn't eat animals made from other.
0: <laughs> well, well, we have, we have a few more comments, Maya. I'm I'm still all for to eating it. And
3: so is Michael Platko on Twitter. Um, he says, I would only eat the pig in bacon form if the desk was made of maple wood mm, with toast. <laughs> That's a great comment, Michael. You nice. know,
0: McGonagall should have just went into the restaurant industry after that, that <laughs> boyfriend didn't work out.
3: Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and our last comment on this is from Ali Wood on the forums. And it says, um, if you are right and the pig takes on the essence of the desk and you eat it, well, you'd get at least one nutrient, a lot of fiber.
1: <laughs> oh, our witty fans that's very, <laughs> that's very true, Allie. You're
0: very
3: right That's great <laughs> Good comments, guys Yeah, definitely Great that so many people are thinking about it in so many different ways mm-hmm.
0: So many hungry fans out there
3: <laughs> Yes, well, but we are done discussing Desk Pig Because I have a feeling this could
1: go all the way into, you know, Prisoner of Azkaban It's so interesting <laughs> But
0: I have a feeling I'm going to ask it to every uh, guest fan on the show First off
1: Okay, well, everyone else can go to the forums and go to the main site to continue the discussion. Yes. So
3: meanwhile, um, we have also been talking about other things uh, recently, such as odd or wrong sortings. Um, and Quest 91 on our main site has said, I heard a theory that Zacharias Smith was descended from Helga Hufflepuff. We heard that Hephzibah Smith is related to her. So is it possible that Zacharias is related to Hephzibah and therefore Helga? Yep. Is that why he was a Hufflepuff Sorry. instead of a Slytherin? And yeah, but then I that would kind of ruin. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Can, go on, Ma. So, oh, that would
2: kind of ruin the whole system because, like, if you're only started from according to what family you're from, that would really ruin it, wouldn't it? Because then it wouldn't be your real personality.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people were saying that Zacharias really belongs in Slytherin um, because you know he holds much more of the traits from that house. But I think Flight, what Flight Quest is trying to say is that he was sorted into Hufflepuff basically because of his because of his bloodline. And yeah, I agree. Maybe maybe that was kind of a wrong sorting on the hats like part. Like, all
2: the Weasleys are in Gryffindor, so maybe one of them wouldn't have belonged in Gryffindor, but still would have gotten Gryffindor just because they're a Weasley. Like, in the movie, when the hat's like, ah, oh, Gryffindor, uh... Another Weasley! Weasley. Another Weasley.
3: Yeah, that. <laughs> I know just what to do with you. We definitely have proof that bloodlines aren't necessarily um certain to get into his particular house Sirius got into Gryffindor after all
1: that's right right but he had had the conviction to not be in Slytherin though you know this is true you know he he didn't want to be a dark wizard like the rest of his family
3: I think you could probably bring the the nature versus nurture argument into this I mean how much of Zacharias's kind of um, childhood would have been determined by the fact that he was a smith and he was a descendant of Hufflepuff. Um, he could have Hufflepuff traits that we don't see, but he has an equal amount of Slytherin ones.
0: You you know what? Considering the hat was made from part of each each house's uh, founder's you know brain, as we know, it, it's pro- it's possible that uh, how do you pronounce the name Hep Hepzibah Helga? Hep- no, Hepzibah. <laughs> Uh, wait, well, which one? No, I mean uh, Helga. It's possible that Helga's brain in there was saying, you know what, She's, he's not quite right for the house, but he's my blood, I'll have him. You know, something <laughs> to that effect. Speaking in the sorting hat's mind, we, we can never really know, but I, I'd i be surprised if the hat was truly making its decisions based on blood, overriding you know the stuff inside. So I'm sure as we get more into Zachariah Smith, we'll get more and more Hufflepuff traits that make sense, Definitely. I think. We'll have to wait on that. And while we're on this uh, discussion, if you guys don't mind me uh, going on a tangent slightly, uh, there are a lot more comments, especially Noah's Nook, about uh, Peter Pettigrew's sorting. You know, we came to the conclusion that it was Hufflepuff, but then I got a lot of comments back saying, no, he's not a Hufflepuff. You know, loyalty is the first and foremost thing of of Hufflepuffs, and and Peter betrays uh, his best friends. That's true. And, you know, while he might be loyal to the Death Eaters, he seems to react more out of fear than out of loyalty. So I just wanna put it out there that we're not going to decide on Peter's sorting just yet. He could be in any old house. But actually a lot of people were saying Slytherin for him. Not just because he's evil, but because he seems to have some Slytherin properties.
2: Maybe he could be in the house Harry made up for people who feel slightly
0: queasy
1: in the first in one of the first chapters.
0: Ooh, good.
1: <laughs> that would work. I, I'm sure he's probably pretty queasy most of the time. <laughs>
0: Well, that we won't, we won't dive right headfirst into the Peter Pedigree discussion again, but if you want to go to the forums, we're still talking about that.
3: Great. Definitely. And elsewhere on the forums, um, we were discussing the the chapter of Halloween last week, but we forgot, pretty much, to mention the Halloween discussion itself. Um, so Snodge on the forums says, I'm a little surprised that the significance or lack thereof of the events happening at Halloween were not discussed, Halloween being a time where the spirit world and the physical world being at their closest... It would make sense that at the time, Voldemort would have been perhaps somewhat more powerful in his current form than usual, and able to exert more control over Quirrell than usual. What do you
0: guys think? That's an awesome comment.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not quite sure how we overlooked that, maybe, you know, having it being the whole scope of the chapter, but yeah, I mean, I I agree with that. I mean, a lot of a lot of readings and writings say that, you know, the worlds are more open to each other on that day, so... That makes sense.
0: I think someone commented in the forums, though, like in response to that, that Joe is, you know, sometimes she'll follow traditional ways of thinking about stuff, but other times not. And the fact that it was Halloween was just kind of a dramatic motif for the troll to come in and, and had no symbolic bearing. Of course, you know, of course, we're going to go into the symbolism because that's what this uh, podcast is all about. So, yeah, we probably should have brought up the point that it was, it was Halloween and that in the spirit world and that... That is cool. And I think this is the only book where Halloween is actually really played up, especially the fact that it's given a whole chapter dedicated to it, right?
3: I think we do have key events happening on Halloween in other books as well. Um, really? The Deaths it's an of, an of the excuse for, An excuse for a feast, um, which means that everyone's all together. So it's quite a good use of a dramatic moment. That's um, true. Throughout the books. What I'm wondering is why didn't
2: Harry remember his parents that day, ever. Like, when they talk about Halloween, they died
1: that day.
0: I don't think he knows, does he?
1: I don't think he knows at this point.
3: How sad is that that he doesn't even know? Oh, I know. Woe is Harry.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: And now I'm thinking, are there any events of that night that kind of parallel, you know, the events of... You know, with with his parents. I guess we can just say that Voldemort does some nasty business on Halloween, generally speaking.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, he died, or quote unquote, died, and he was trying to quote unquote come back to life. I mean, kind of a full life cycle, but he didn't succeed, as we later find out.
3: Yay. Maybe he thought it was symbolic, though, because wouldn't it have been the 10th anniversary of his first non death? That's, that's right. That's true. Maybe yep. he thought that would be a brilliant time to be rebu- reborn.
0: And he was trying to get to the stone that night, wasn't he?
3: Yep, he was.
0: Wow, <laughs> nice guys. <laughs> okay, we can close that up. What's next, Rosie?
3: Um, we were talking last week about the the idea of um, the snitch and the gender politics of Quidditch. Uh, Noah, yes. did you want to take this one?
0: Yeah, I do. Okay, so just uh, just a rephrase from last week. Um, I was thinking about the balls in the in the snitch in uh, the Quidditch game. And it seemed to me that the bludgers are these culturally masculine objects, uh, always being kind of aggressive, going after everything on the on the pitch. Uh, and the snitch, uh, with it, is actually a feminine, a more feminine, you know, character. Of course, I'm just speaking in the broad, general terms. A, a, a female can be aggressive, and a, and a male can be you know, passive. I'm just talking about the cultural symbolism with it. And we have this little fluttery snitch that's that's also shining, going around the pitch and a seeker. Has to catch it, and as we know, when you catch the snitch, you um, that snitch is like there's a flesh memory, as we learned in the seventh book, and it remembers who was the first one who, who catches it, and specifically this snitch with uh, because Dumbledore enchants it so it opens to its first you know catcher. So you know, taking all this information, uh, Head Girl actually responded to my comments, and uh, and she writes how this uh, you know this reading of the Quidditch game is actually quite problematic. She says, If we continue with the theory that Quidditch is some kind of anal- analogy for gender politics, with the snitch being the more feminine aspect, it gets really problematic really quickly when one takes into account what we learn from snitches in Deathly Hallows. Page 127 of the U.S. version. This is a quote. A snitch is not touched by bare skin before it is released, not even by the maker, who wears gloves. It carries an enchantment by which it can identify the first human to lay hands upon it in case of a disputed <coughs> capture. This snitch will remember your touch, Potter. End of quote. So it's not touched until it needs to be of use, and then it's bonded to the first person to ever touch it with bare skin. I'm really hoping that this isn't reflective of J.K.R.'s views on women. Also, it raises the question, what happens to snitches after they're used? Is there a snitch preserved somewhere? And how high is Hogwarts snitch's budget anyway? <laughs> All right, so that, that went into something very interesting, but I'm going to agree with this. I think the, snitch can, the snitches can be read as women, and thinking about this in terms of the first book and the last book is incredibly problematic. What do you guys think?
3: I really strongly disagree. Um Ooh, I don't okay. think at all that it would be um JKR representing women in any way. I think sure you can read some feminine qualities into it, but I definitely don't think that um as as Head Girl said it was it would reflect her views on women. We've got some amazingly strong um female characters. I mean, think of Ginny. Um I mean, she becomes a seeker at one point. Um
0: that's true. She is
3: such a strong and feisty character and so unlike a snitch. Um although she is kind of very fast and all of that aspect. Um so I, I don't think yeah, that we, it would it's you don't the the female characters don't need to be captured within the game.
2: <laughs> yeah, we do know that um Joe is actually a really big feminist. Yeah. And another problem with the snitch. Yeah, she said that a, lot, a few times. Another problem with the snitch is that when you catch it, you score points and you win the game if that's kind of I don't think she really thought when she was writing that she was going to um, reflect like men and women because yeah, when you write you think about all kinds of um, metaphors that you're using all the time and you think what everything symbolizes but really I don't think she she was thinking about that with the balls.
0: It, it may or may not matter whether she was intending it or not this could just be kind of a reading that we get after the fact that could reflect either unconscious thoughts of hers or not either one of those. And it just kind of, it happened this way and this is the, the result of reading the game this way. What do you think, Kat?
1: Well, I mean, it, it like going off what Maya said, you know, it brings in a lot of real sexual undertones if that is actually what she meant. And I, I don't think that it is because I don't think Joe at all... Is trying to bring you know sexual tension or any sort of you know anything in that realm into the books. So I'm with uh, I'm with Rosie on this one. I I don't
0: think yeah yeah. Well, whether or not intended, an interesting you know play here by Head Girl. And I I I personally like this theory. If you want to keep discussing about it, go straight to the forums on Alohomora. And uh, that is all.
2: Yeah, and wait, um, you can also think about it, like, you don't have to think about men and women, you can think about it as life, you know, you have the, the ball that you're always playing with, like, you can't really see what's going on, and then the bludgers that are trying to get you, and then you have to catch the little golden snitch, the little, you know, exciting moment. Huh. I don't know, you can think about that.
0: Uh, but Maya, we love to just go in depth, you know, go crazy, go on tangents, and <laughs> find crazy symbols, which may or may not exist. But that's true, uh, you know, in terms of itself, it is a fun game.
3: I think I really like it as a a symbol or a a metaphor for life and the struggles that we go through rather than gender politics. (laughs) Yeah, I would agree (laughs) with that completely.
0: Well, just to throw in the last word before we move on, I think that you know, Ginny's character in a way, she is a snitch for Harry a little bit, because we keep talking about her as a powerful feminist character, but towards the end of the sixth book, I believe she's kind of reduced to a snitch. She's reduced to this the love story debacle between Harry and her. And I know she's doing stuff, but in Harry's world and the world that we are filtered through because we're reading it through his point of view, she becomes just part of the love story.
1: I mean maybe and, maybe at the end, yeah, but he doesn't care about, you know, catching her for several books. If she's the snitch, you know, he's not a very good seeker
3: if he doesn't care about catching
0: it. Well, he he does care about catching her.
3: Not until the end. If you really want to follow on this metaphor, though, Noah, think about the fact that the one time that he does catch her when he finally gets that kiss, it's the one that he's not actually playing Quidditch.
1: Ah, there you go. (laughs) Like, literally
2: what happened in the very first game, in the very first game when he catches it, in the mouth
0: (laughs) yes sorry no keep going
2: no no I said when he catches the snitch no that's she was commenting on Rosie's comment yeah no when he when he catches the snitch um in his mouth
3: so yeah yeah it immediately linked unconsciously yeah Mm -hmm. it can link the snitch to to kissing and to open it he has to actually kiss the snitch
0: oh wow yeah oh that's great great comment I see now okay
3: alright alright good let's uh
0: (laughs) Let's, let's worm our way out of this one. Right, let get yeah. to the next comment.
3: Move on to the next comment. In a very completely <laughs> different topic, um, <laughs> SneakySnape25 um, has said on our main site about um, our previous discussion about Harry being beaten at home. Um, they say that, I think that Vernon did hit Harry. Um, think of all the horrible forms of punishment that the Dursleys used on Harry. Does it really make sense for them to have some sort of compassion to not hit Harry? Plus, with Harry being so nonchalant about wood, meaning a beating cane instead of a person, it is pretty easy to assume he was exposed to this kind of punishment. He probably was hit for major offences, which is why he thought a cane for disobeying a teacher was normal.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, I thought from the beginning that they definitely, you know, beat him in some way. He talks several times about having to duck away from his uncle and, you know, learning to avoid the situation, so... Yeah, I'm I'm with this one. I agree.
0: Yeah, I but think... Every uh, time they, go on, Maya.
1: Every time they want to punish
2: him, they just lock him in his cupboard. That's what we know.
0: And that, that's certainly a form would, of abuse.
2: hmm Yeah, but I don't think they hit him, especially mm-hmm. not Petunia. She wouldn't.
3: He's the only thing she's got left. It's more emotional abuse and neglect rather than physical abuse. I
0: yeah. think over the course of his ten years there, it's not or 11 years, it's not unlikely that it happened at some point. I think Caleb brought up the, the, the men, he mentioned the fact that if it had got word out at, at Vernon's office that he was beating a child or something, you know, that would, Vernon wouldn't care very much at all for that kind of reputation. So for that fact alone, it probably wouldn't have happened. But behind closed doors, you know, considering, again, uh, Sneaky sneaky Snape's comment about how nonchalant Harry was about in this scene, the fact that Wood might be a cane, and what I pointed out, I think it's a direct possibility.
1: Yeah, I completely agree, especially at at, you know, at school too, which we talked about previously. But I think more so at home. And just Vernon just dislikes Harry so much that, I see it happening.
0: It's very possible. Yeah. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered
3: ChumbaCasino.com.
1: It's my little escape.
3: Now Judy's the life of the party.
1: Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon.
3: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> Yeah, from one strict person to another, Um, speaking of McGonagall, you guys mentioned how she is very strict and likes to abide by the rules. Um, And I'm sure this has been brought up before, they say. But isn't Hermione freakishly similar to young Minerva? Thanks to Pottermore, we know that she achieved the maximum amount of owls and newts, and she was top of her year. She also believes in clear organisation and strong morals, just like Hermione. Does anyone else see the comparison here? She was a hat stall too.
2: Uh, Hermione, was she a hat stall? No, she, she was very close. Very close to being a hat stall, yep. And she got into Gryffindor, just like McGonagall, but we know from Pottermore that McGonagall was
3: a hat stall. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: So maybe the hat
2: so learned they were from
3: McGonagall's experience and decided to just put Hermione in Gryffindor.
1: Right, because the other house that she was stalling on was Ravenclaw, yes?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I'm surprised so. that uh, you know McGonagall and, Hermi- Herm- uh, McGonagall and Hermione <laughs> don't have more, like, Connections throughout the book series, like more you know, one-on-one time. I guess with the in the third book with the, um, what's that device called? When you go back in time, time turner. Sorry. <laughs> the uh, maybe we we know that Hermione went to McGonagall about the time turner, so she could take more classes. So I'm sure McGonagall empathized with Hermione, you know, very deeply when when this when she was organizing the whole thing for. Her. Oh
1: yeah, I'm sure that she looked at her and saw herself at that age. Absolutely, yeah. I I definitely see the. The comparison they feel very similar to me mcgonagall you know again as we learned was very proud of who she was and where she came from and all that so absolutely definitely good good comments um keep them coming go to alohomora.mugglenet.com and comment on anything we say on this show or past shows and we just might read it
0: that's right and we love to do it because you guys are great
1: we do that's very true <laughs> So let's move on. Um, Last week, our special feature was called What If? And we asked several what if questions, and we actually got some really great ones in return. So we're just going to read a couple of those now. Um, This one is from Facebook, um, user Helen Schwager. Sorry if I pronounce your name incorrectly. I'm bad at pronunciations. Anyway, she says, what if Harry and Voldemort's wand didn't share the same core? Thoughts?
0: Well, then Harry's love would still be protecting him, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, but wouldn't he have been blown to bits when he was riding on, you know, Hagrid's motorbike or when they met in the graveyard at the, in the fourth year? He would. He would have died. But
2: maybe, but maybe that's, that would be when Voldemort had destroyed the Horcrux and then he would have come back then. True. Like, think about True. it. Yeah. Harry has one time to die. He doesn't know it, but he has one spare life. So if Voldemort kills him, he'll come
1: back if he wants to. Right. Okay. So, so basically, the order of the Horcruxes would have been destroyed differently.
2: Oh, wait, but but he has to want. Uh, he has to want to die. He has to be he ready to die. Part. Right. Yeah.
3: Interesting ideas.
0: But then, we're, what if uh, what if his having a different wand had different abilities, which would also allow him to counteract Voldemort's wand?
3: Yeah. What if he'd had Lily's wand or something? Would have, would the the love aspect of that brought it ha-
0: have more been more powerful? powerful.
3: Do we know
1: what happened to their wands?
3: No. Probably got blasted.
1: Yeah. Or maybe they were buried with them. Who knows? Maybe. Like Dumbledores.
0: These what ifs just make me so confused.
1: Yeah. I just don't know. (laughs) Well, speaking of, um, you know, Lily and the night they got exploded, unfortunately. um, Michael Platko on Twitter asks us, what if Sirius got to the Potter's house earlier or if Hagrid let him take baby Harry from the rubble? So basically, if Harry had grown up with Sirius instead, yeah,
3: I think Sirius gets yeah, into Azkaban. too angry at that moment. I think um, he he knew exactly what had happened, so that's why he went to track down Pettigrew. I don't think he would have been in the right state of mind to to look for Harry at that state, even though he is his godfather and he does kind of he does love and care about him. He's just lost his best friend and the person that kind of made him feel accepted in the world. So I, I don't think he would have bit of focusing on Harry, sadly. Do you think he
0: would have taken Harry on the run with him?
3: If he'd been able to, probably.
0: That's yeah. what I think yeah, would, but would have happened.
3: If
2: he, if he had taken Harry, he would have, have had time to go after Pettigrew, and then he wouldn't have gotten
3: blamed for the mass murder, and then he could have raised Harry. Did he actually know okay. that Harry survived at that point? When, when did the Wizarding World find out that Harry had defeated Voldemort at that stage? Because he, he knows that the house has been destroyed. Maybe he got into a blind rage at that point and looked for Pettigrew thinking that all of them had died.
2: Oh, well, I suppose Harry would have cried a lot. Would have been
1: heard. I mean, I, I think Dumbledore was the only one who knew Harry was alive for some time. I mean, obviously, Hagrid. Because um, even McGonagall didn't know when when they met on the wall. You know, she didn't know Harry was alive.
0: But didn't everyone know that Harry had survived?
3: The The Wizarding World was celebrating before that.
1: Yeah, she did say she did say she knew he was alive. But weren't they just celebrating that he was gone?
3: They were whispering about Potter, to Harry Potter, the boy who lived. Okay.
0: So that that was well-known information. But whether or not Sirius knew this when he went out out for Pettigrew, I'm not sure. That might have been after Hagrid had collected Harry.
1: Well, yeah. oh, Alyssa Feller um, asked us a "what if" on Facebook, going along with this same idea: What if Sirius didn't go after Wormtail the day the Potters died? What if he went directly to Dumbledore and explained everything? Would he have been able to have some kind of relationship with Harry? Definitely. Would have raised him. He's his godfather. He yeah. would have raised him. Yeah, because I I and but do you think Lily's protection would have been you know, um, sort of what's the word I'm looking for?
0: I don't think it would have existed though because didn't it yeah. uh, work in in the Dursley home because of the blood? Because Petunia because was of there. The blood. Right. So it wouldn't have worked otherwise. So this actually worked out the best for Harry. Yeah. Possibly. Maybe not in terms of his raising, but in terms of his protection.
3: Maybe Dumbledore would have explained that to Sirius. But Sirius could have lived nearby.
0: That's true. Right, they
1: definitely could have had some sort of relationship. I mean, somehow. I'm not, I don't know. Sirius is kind of reckless, though, so I don't know how good he would have been for a young Harry. <laughs> yeah. That would have been an exciting childhood.
0: Well, that's true. <laughs> Way better than the beatings, anyway.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Exactly. <laughs> and Sirius would want to. I think he would want to be a good parent because of his own childhood. He would have made sure that Harry was loved and treated with like respect and stuff more than more than he was.
2: Harry would really turn up, turn out like James a lot. Like yeah. James, he would have been overconfident and probably mean if Sirius <laughs> had raised him. Well, it he would, would definitely be a very different.
3: Sirius.
1: Yeah, he would definitely know more about the wizarding world. You know. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that's what Dumbledore didn't want, so... he
3: would probably be more like the the Weasley twins. Marauder's Mark II.
1: Yeah. Ooh, boy.
3: Not good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Following on that,
1: talking about, you know, Quidditch and McGonagall and such, John Konitsky on Facebook says, What if McGonagall never saw Harry fly his broom and catch the Rememberall? What if he was never on the Gryffindor-Quidditch team?
0: He just would have been a normal schoolboy. He would have got all his homework no on
1: Right, but then he would have never caught the snitch And Dumbledore could have never hid the resurrection stone in it
0: mm-hmm. mm.
1: Well, maybe he would
2: have tried out in his second year And then caught a snitch
0: I don't know, Harry's not the type of person to try out for things It just kind of happens to him
3: Right Maybe Ron would have dragged him with him Or well, Madame Hooch could have seen his skills It didn't need to be McGonagall True That's true, that's true Uh, One final
1: what if um, we got from Lynette Daly, again on Facebook. She says, what if the magical world actually existed and JKR is just writing about real things that had happened and just passing
3: them off as fiction? Did you never think of that? (laughs) (laughs) Am I the only one? Come on, every every 11-year-old waits for their Hogwarts letter these days. Oh, yeah, I remember.
0: (laughs) I mean, I try not to tell people that I'm a wizard, but now it's out. <laughs> oh boy!
2: Fortunately, or unfortunately, I was young enough to wait for my letter at 11. Instead, I got the last Harry Potter book same year, but not not quite as good.
0: Maya, how, how popular is uh, Harry Potter in Israel?
2: Uh, everybody knows it. Uh, it's just as popular probably as in America or in Britain or in anywhere, but mm. I'm the only Potterhead in my class.
1: Oh, cool. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being individual. Right, Ravenclaw? Woo! <laughs> That's right. Cool. Well, good what-ifs, uh, good? What ifs, guys. Thank you for all those. Those are a lot of fun to ponder. We'll definitely do that special feature again soon.
0: Someday. Yep. Okay. And now it looks like we're getting responses now from the posed question of the week uh, I read on last episode, in which we were discussing the different the different ways the trio are courageous in the series. And I, I was wondering, I was looking at Harry, Hermione, and Ron, and I was i was sort of wondering if, you know, maybe J.K. Rowling is making a comment about bravery in the series and how it's multifaceted, because um, we know maybe Harry and Ron are a bit more reckless, and, you know, Hermione has her, on occasion, is reckless, but most of the time she's kind of calculating things through her mind, and, you know, that's still bravery. And just to throw it in there for the question of the week, um... I wanted to talk about Lily and James Potter and the fact how we know James immediately rushes to stop Voldemort. And that's, again, this reckless kind of bravery. But Lily actually, you know, sacrifices herself at the end. And because that is the that is the sacrifice that allows the love charm to take effect, I was wondering if Joe was therefore commenting on bravery and saying that, though it is multifaceted, this very human sacrifice is the greatest kind of bravery. And that is potentially problematic So I wanted to, you know, I threw that to the fans, and we got a lot of great comments. First one is from Nana. We know that bravery is very important to the writer because she made a point of sorting her principal characters in a house that stands for courage. Gryffindor is symbolized by the lion, which itself represents heart and courage. So we know right away that this is a quality that matters. But she shows us that there are many different expressions of bravery, and that it depends on the capacity of the person. What might be easy for one might take a lot of courage for another. That's why Neville is awarded points at the end of Lost for Stone, because standing up to your friends might take another kind of courage than fighting trolls, but real courage nonetheless. Comment from Allie Wood. I see the trio as a three-headed part of the same thing. They are almost one person with one goal, Harry's goal. To describe it best, I just see the three of them, wands out and crossed, pointing at the same danger. Their courage mixed, and the courage of each one of them builds up to each other. I think she is saying joe there's a different type of courage there are different types of courage and when a lot of courage comes together great things happen so we had a lot we had a lot of comments guys about this how each one reflects it a, a, you know a different sort but it all kind of boils down to the same thing what do you guys think especially considering the sacrifice i brought up
2: true This is true
0: what do you think Maya?
2: um well harry potter did make me believe that bravery comes in different forms uh I never thought I was brave. And then getting to know Hermione, I thought, well, there's another kind of bravery. There's the bravery of standing up against what people think about you and what people say about you behind your back or not behind your back and just standing strong. And that's bravery that is undervalued a lot of time. Yeah. So
3: that's what that made me believe. The, the moment with Neville as well, um, right at the end of the book, um, that he eventually wins the the house points for the the idea of um, it takes true bravery to bravery to stand up to your friends. Um, I think yeah, bravery and courage um, and and all of the different aspects are really important, and I think Joe really tries to to show them at their best within the series.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think that's why you know the trio is in Gryffindor because I definitely think that that's a trait that she values above all else. I mean, think about her situation when she started writing Harry Potter. I mean, it's pretty brave to put yourself out there and let people kind of judge you and, you know, your writing. So, yeah.
0: All right. And, uh, you know, once again, what do you think of the potential prejudice of sacrificial bravery being the truest kind of all? Because we know the book starts with Lily's just sacrificing herself for a baby. And then at the very end, it's Harry sacrificing himself for everybody. So this seems to be, you know, a step above reckless going into fight. Is Joe saying that it's better to be a sacrifice?
2: No. Not I think she's saying it's, it's the highest form of bravery maybe, but everything is, like, it's the highest evolution of bravery that at first you have to be strong on the inside and then you have to be strong for everybody else. You have to evolve, to kind
0: of. All right. That's good. Rosie?
3: It's the idea of putting others before yourself, um, which is a, a common phrase that anyone in England, certainly anyone who does either brownies or scouts or any of those kind of moralistic ideas that you're taught when you're very young, um, putting others before yourself is is a truly important thing. And I think hey, we, that, we
0: have that in America too, you know. Yeah.
3: Yeah, brownies. (laughs) (laughs) Aww,
2: I got to do that for a year. I got to be a brownie. I remember that. (laughs) Yeah. When I was really little, (laughs) that was nice.
3: But yeah, it's it's that idea that it's it's taught to you when you are young, um, and you kind of go, "Oh yeah, yeah, I know what that means." But it's the idea of putting that into action, um, and in in situations where, not necessarily as a sacrifice, but in situations where it could cause problems for you um putting others first in those moments is stronger than putting them for but putting them before you in just a normal situation right
1: um actually wise old baker on the main site had a really good comment on this um she said the definition of bravery that i got from this series is this a brave person is one who is willing to face a, a situation head-on even though they know the outcome may be grim i think that every person that has shown bravery in the series was willing to sacrifice something to reach their goal, and that takes guts as well. Lily and James sacrificed their lives to save Harry, Neville took a chance on losing friendships, and Hermione was sacrificing her school career to save the boys. In that sense, all acts of bravery in the story, though varied, seem to be on equal footing. I never saw one person's act more brave than another because in the end, all of them had the chance at losing something or had lost something. I just thought it was a great comment. Yeah, that's
2: that's truer than... Just putting others before yourself because this might sound very slytherin but in sometimes just putting yourself before others is more important. You have to know because you're just impor- as important as everybody else. That's at least what I believe. That you don't that just sacrificing yourself for others, being the martyr all your life, is kind of wrong. Because then, what's your life worth,
0: really? I just I just have a problem with. I just have a problem with the fact that sacrifice is so played up as so big in the series. And, the, you know, the potential violence that you have to do to yourself to prove how much you, you love or to reflect how m- your love is basically remembered in as much as how much violence you're willing to, willing to bring to yourself for that person. I think it's just, it's a cultural thing, but, you know, it's kind of messed up when you think about it from that from that angle. Um,
3: I think there's an important distinction there that you, you were saying that they are being brave to prove something, and I think it's it's the selflessness of the act that is the most important. Um, if you were if you were doing the brave deed to to prove yourself as better than them, it wouldn't count as much as if you're doing it purely out of love, which is the other. Well, thing I, don't, that Joe really I don't think
0: Lily. I don't think Lily let herself die to prove a point or anything. I just think that it comes off in the series as if you have to. This is the mark of a of somebody who truly loves. And I don't know if that's something we should be deifying or something we should really be celebrating. Or maybe okay, it well, is. But Ali yeah. um
3: on, on the main site has a comment about this. Um, and she, said, she or he says, I think moments of bravery in many cases within the HP series um, are spawned from moments of adrenaline. We have all heard the stories of mothers gaining extraordinary strength in a desperate situation. And I think that perhaps true bravery is the kind which is an- has anticipated rather than being spur of the moment. I think the strength of the love protection being linked to Lily is for two reasons. The first is that she makes a decision to physically come between danger and Harry, whereas James is aiming his anger at Voldemort, rather than sacrificing himself directly to save Harry specifically. The second reason for the love protection um, being linked with only Lily's act of sacrifice is that it is Snape's love for her um, and his promise to make up for his mistakes that he in turn plays a huge role in ultimately keeping Harry safe. Lily sacrifices her life for Harry and Snape does the same in honor for his love for Lily.
0: Yeah again, you know, sacrifices is, is important, but we should we should always think about the fact how love can never be can never be separated from its, you know, its counter death. There there's something that bonds these two and you know, we're going to talk about it a lot in the series, but they're like these two things interweaving throughout the entire series. Uh, let, let's move on to the next uh our next chapter discussion.
1: Okay, this week we are discussing chapters 11 and 12 of Philosopher's Stone. Um, we start off at the beginning of um, chapter 11 here, um, just having ended with the trio defeating the mountain troll and uh, I was just curious, what do you think they did with that troll?
0: Did they release it into the forest?
1: Vanished it. Uh,
0: vanished oh. it into,
1: into the non-being, right?
0: Or did Which they means just...
1: into everything, right.
2: and then all Hogwarts would smell like troll all day.
0: <laughs> I hope not, because that's troll cruelty. I'll call it right now.
1: Oh, okay. You
2: so, know what
0: they probably did is they probably vanished it into the air.
3: Probably. Made an air
0: Pod- okay. But I mean, you
3: can't create air, so. It must have come from somewhere. <laughs> they probably just put it somewhere else that mountain trolls live.
1: Yeah, Send yeah. it back up to the mountains, right?
3: <laughs> okay,
1: so anyway, so the trio becomes best friends because they defeated the troll, and um, you know, Harry had a sneaking suspicion of what was being hidden underneath the trapdoor. You know, he says the grumbly package from Gringotts, and he's slowly starting to put the pieces together. But here we are. It's the beginning of November. It's a cold, blistery day, and the trio is out in the courtyard when Snape um, kind of sees them and comes limping over. Um, and Harry begins to wonder why is he limping. So later that evening, after their exchange in the courtyard where Snape takes Harry's Quidditch Through the Ages book, Harry decides to go find Snape to try and get the book back from him. And he decides to go look in the staff room. So Harry knocks and there's no answer, so he just walks right into the room, of course, being a brave Gryffindor, he doesn't care what he's going to find. So first off, I was wondering, why isn't the door locked? Like it's a, it's a staff room, you know. Students shouldn't be allowed in there.
0: Miss Snape knows his reputation. I guess he doesn't expect any students to wander into his office.
1: <laughs> but it's not his office. It's the staff room. It's oh. like the, it's like the teachers'
3: lounge. <laughs> yeah.
0: Should have locked that door.
3: Yeah, that's what I thought. And especially it's, if it's such a kind of. A private moment as well I mean it's not just hanging out for a cup of coffee in the staff room it's well it's probably someone to check out your leg <laughs> it's right. probably got to
0: stay open for the rest of the staff because what are they going to think if he's just locked in, a, in the staff room with Filch
3: yeah but shouldn't
1: there be a password on the door or something
0: yeah that's that's true I don't...
1: but it's okay okay so you bring up Filch so my second question is why is Filch helping Snape like, do, you, do we think Filch has any idea about what's going on, what's up in that third floor corridor, what's oh, protecting Oh, he certainly it?
0: does. Because he's talked, us, doesn't Snape have a comment to Filch about how are you supposed to watch all three heads at once? About the dog.
1: Yeah,
2: but maybe Filch doesn't know what's under the dog. Yeah, I mean, maybe Filch just knows about Fluffy. And, yeah, but he would suspect, why would Fluffy be there?
0: I think he probably knows about the, that, the, that at least something's being kept.
3: I think all the professors probably know. I think all of the the staff of Hogwarts probably know. So we trust Filch enough to not try and do anything with it? I mean, we know how badly he wants to be a wizard. But the Philosopher's Stone wouldn't actually give him any powers, it would just give him eternal life. Well, he'd be powerful, because he has I think he's
0: accepted he can't get past the dog and the numerous enchantments below, especially considering he's not magic.
1: Okay. But still, why Filch? Why not go to the hospital wing or go see Dumbledore? Oh, because she wants
2: to align Snape with evil, and Filch has from the beginning been really evil to them. You can't mm. say evil, but maybe really unkind. No, that's to
0: them. true. That was, it's a it completely a plot device. So we are being we we're we're sort of unconsciously assigning different characters who we know are not evil with evil. Snape, Filch, and you know this helps to make us think of him more evil. But in terms of the actual story itself, why didn't he go to Dumbledore or Madame Pomfrey? Because he. I think he just wants to keep this as low-key as possible.
3: But do, do In terms you, of the, the evil discussion, there's actually a, a good discussion of that going on in, in my forum, um, Rosie's Roundtable on the forums. So if you want to go and join in that, go over there. Shameless oh, nice. plug. <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> so Harry quickly
1: runs out of the room, and upon getting back to the Gryffindor common room, he immediately shares everything he learned with Ron and Hermione. And I think this goes back to you know slightly back to the con- the conversation we had last week about is going you know defeating a mountain troll really enough to to bond the three and what is it about them that harry immediately trusts
0: well it, it's it's the mountain troll thing i mean he's been talking to ron from the very beginning already um i think when you're 11 you're just you're excited to talk about with anyone and you in- instantly decide who's going to be your best friend and who's not so yeah that's just the state of affairs i guess
3: I've actually got a friendship discussion going on in my forum as well. <laughs> Rosie. <laughs> Sorry. When you're 11, it's like, oh, be
2: my best friend. Oh, okay. Yay. Now we're best friends. And then you actually are for that's years. That's how it works. Yeah. Or not. Or not.
0: That's true. Best friends,
2: best friends do divorce when you're 11. <laughs> that's that's true.
0: And then from Luminous Night... As we know, the Harry Potter series is largely about getting past differences in various various forms of discord, and I think this particular moment where we see the trio defeating the Mountain Troll at Halloween is no exception. In the chapters building up to this moment, we see both Harry and Ron expressing frustration over Hermione's bossy know-it-all attitude due to the various reasons you have all discussed on the podcast. This seems to be an instance where Joe has taken the larger overarching theme of the series and brought it down to a simple level of what friendship means. At the end of the chapter, we're left with the statement that there are some things you can't do without becoming friends, and beating a mountain troll is one of them. I see the real troll in this instance as symbolic of the discord that happens when people tease one another or don't listen as real friends do. This kind of friction is, like the mountain troll, ugly, powerful, and just plain old dumb, without any justifiable basis, but at the end of the day, it can be won over with real friendship. (laughs)
1: Good good comment, Lumos Night 3. I mean, okay. I'll I'll give it up. I mean, I guess a mountain troll is enough to bond you for life.
3: A great comment from Snape Escape um, on the forums is that Jo is realistic in her portrayal of friendship. Um, It's not idealized. Um, It's not all happy, best friends for life, nothing can tear us apart. There are moments when um, the relationships between the characters are wobbly and where the the outcome seems to be blurry. Um, Will they make it up? Will they not? Um, and it's the, the like things like the heartbreaking row um, of the the trio in the forest of Dean, um, all the way in the future in in Deathly Hallows. Mm. It's the friendships have ups and downs, um, but they they do have fun together and they have these challenges that they they do kind of face as a unit, um, and that is the mark of true friendship. It's overcoming the obstacles, whether they are a mountain troll or whether they are just an argument amongst friends.
0: It's like the, it's almost like the love and death conversation. You can't have happiness and friendship without the chaos that must create it. Right? It, like these are all friendships uh, they're like a matter of necessity.
1: So after this, you know, they start kind of slowly talking about what's going on, but eventually it becomes bedtime and Harry tries to go to sleep and it says right right on the page that he is trying to clear his head and he's having trouble clearing his head. And, you know, we learn later in the books that, you know, this is a practice of trying to learn occlumency. So do we think Voldemort is already somehow, some way inside of Harry's head, looking looking through him? His horcrux is there,
2: obviously, but he's not, since he's not in his full form, Voldemort, he doesn't have as much power, so he can't kind of project images into Harry's head or anything, but his presence is still there.
0: I don't. I, I don't think Harry is. Ter- I, uh, sorry, I don't think Voldemort is terribly interested in going inside Harry's head right now, because he does. As far as he's aware, he doesn't know that Harry knows anything about what's going on. He does, however, want to kill Harry, as we know.
2: He's already. He's already inside someone's head. That's enough.
0: Oh, One we head. know that he's unconsciously inside Harry's head. But you know, keep in mind that Voldemort doesn't know that Harry's a Horcrux.
3: Yeah, I think it's just that there's an awful lot going on. Like Harry is only an 11 year old he he wouldn't normally be faced with mountain trolls and professors who are having their legs ripped off by three headed dogs there's (laughs) a lot to think about um, whether you've got Voldemort in your head or not Um, this is true it'll be be troubling enough not to get sleep
1: (laughs) no that's true okay I'll give you that (laughs) (laughs) so then the next morning Harry wakes up and he's having um, it's the day of his first Quidditch match for Hogwarts and we get out there and you know we see that Dean has made a poster that says Harry for President, and I'm so excited because this is proof that there is art at Hogwarts. And do you think that it's like a subject that's taught, or is it more like a, like a gobstones club?
0: Well, as we know, Dean is a muggle, so he's probably just kind of bringing this cool thing into oh. a wizarding community so trying. Trying. well he's not
1: a muggle he's a muggle born
0: that's that's what i meant he's, a, he's a, sorry if i offended anybody out there but he, you know <laughs> as a muggle born, he comes from the muggle community so all i'm saying is where where art might be more prevalent there it's uh maybe it's it's less so in the wizarding world of course we get more and more instances of art being there but i don't believe it's taught maybe an elective for seventh years but they don't really go for their seventh year do they
1: no that's true I mean, yeah, we see people being artsy, you know, like Luna with her jewelry and her hats and such. But, yeah. We know that
0: magic, magical spells, there's certainly an art to it. I mean, defense against the dark arts and, you know, and other stuff. But art for its own sake without magic in it, I think people would find boring in the Wizarding World.
1: Right. Okay. No, I see what you're saying. Okay, so getting back to our discussion here. (laughs) So, I briefly wanted to talk a little bit about the history of Quidditch. I don't know how much you guys know about this. That um, all of you have your Quidditch through the ages? Yes, actually I do. Oh, good. Okay. I thought about that. You did? Good. Glad we're on the same wavelength. Okay. So, according to Quidditch through the ages, um, the form of Quidditch that modern wizards play was first mentioned in the journals of Gertie Kettle, um, a local queer-ditch March witch who lived in the 11th century, she wrote of a leather ball landing in her cabbage patch, as well as a wizard zooming rocks around the pitch trying to hit other players. The snitch wasn't introduced until sometime later and is modeled after the common, well, at the time, but now protected, um, Golden Snidget. Barbarous Bragg, chief of the Wizards Council back in um, 1296, brought the snidget to a Quidditch game and offered the capture 150 galleons. Um, obviously, a lot has changed since then, and even now, we have muggles
3: that play Quidditch, so who would have thought? Thought it was a good little history lesson.
0: You have to snitch it to win it.
3: <laughs> I hope everyone was paying attention to that as a as a little history lesson if you're planning to do the Muggler Owls because I'm sure some of that would come up in Quidditch uh some of the Quidditch the Ages things will come up in History of Magic. Oh
1: yes absolutely.
0: When are one of the owls? I have to study.
3: Um they actually started last week
1: sometime. Has anyone taken any yet? I I'm actually a little ashamed to admit that I only got an acceptable on my charms owl. Not cool.
0: I got an O on every one of them.
3: Oh, you liar. You did uh, that's not. That's
0: my story, and I'm sticking to it.
3: <laughs> did you take any yet, Rosie? No, I haven't taken any yet, unfortunately, but I will definitely try to soon. Okay. Well,
1: go to MuggleNet, everyone who hasn't taken them, like Rosie, and take your owls. It's really cool, actually. <laughs> Props to, the, to our development team for getting that done.
3: Definitely.
0: Stuart and Keith and Caleb, that's good right. job.
1: MNI, Cool. But have any of you seen Muggle Quidditch? Because that's really quite interesting.
0: Not only have I seen it, I've played it.
3: The Quidditch really? World Cup is going to be held um, in Oxford, my hometown, um, next month, I think. So oh, right during the Olympics, the, the exhibition yeah. game. Cool.
1: I, I was going to say you should go cheer on Team USA, but you'll probably be cheering on Team UK, won't you? UK, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Why is
2: there no Team Israel? I would have played... I, I don't play sports. I would have played Quidditch though.
1: Yeah, no, there's four teams. They don't. The US, the UK, France and Australia. So uh, that's not fair. They should play more Quidditch.
2: Maybe in the future.
1: Get a team together when Maybe. you get to high school. There's plenty Maybe they should officially put it in the Olympics. They really should. that would be really cool. I, I think I think that's what they're trying you know, they're trying to get it to be a more serious sport. But They would the Olympics would get so many more viewers. That's true. So many Harry people. Harry Potter fans, would come. right?
0: You put them on jetpacks, and it'll it'll turn serious real quick.
1: (laughs) Okay, so back to the chapter. (laughs) Um, Just as of a note, um, we notice here that Hagrid comes to join them in the stands. Do you think these stands are, like, magically reinforced? Because Hagrid is huge.
0: That's just what I was going to say. They're magically reinforced, of course.
1: Like the chair in the wedding, in Bill 4's wedding. Oh, but he sits in the wrong one and breaks it anyway. Right. Okay. Yeah, but... Because he sits, he sits up in those stands quite often.
3: So they must have just gone around the whole stands. Just in, <laughs> case. Just in case. And
0: well, the you know how high those stands have to be fairly are.
3: robust, though, because they, they're there all year round. And how old are they? They, they must be fairly decent stands. A few... A few centuries old, probably. And plus,
0: that'd be a terrible book if Hagrid just fell through at the very beginning. <laughs> and you know how high those are in the air. Just, that's a terrible book. he just got
2: in and sat down, <laughs> and all the students would have died. Just broke right through. <laughs> Ouch. Okay, all right. I got it. Someone <laughs> should write Someone should write a fan fiction for that, <laughs>
0: or not. That sounds like an extraordinary what-if question.
1: Yes, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. What if Hagrid had died in
3: Chapter 12? I mean, 11. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Lovely. All right,
0: that's terrible. Let's move on.
3: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Okay. Um, So um, we see a few fouls in the game. And then, you know, Seamus, who is a muggle-born as well, much like Dean, um, starts screaming about soccer and a red card. And I was wondering that... Wasn't that Dean? That was Dean, yeah. Okay.
0: Seamus doesn't know what soccer is. Actually, football, if we're going to say it correctly.
1: Okay, well, she Thank says you. soccer in the book.
0: No, in the US, no, so the American
1: version, she says football in the book. Oh, in your edition. It depends what version That's you have. That's true. <laughs> okay, so anyway, I'm wondering how these students that were brought up in wizarding families, how do they not know about soccer? Like, isn't it kind of everywhere in England? I mean, I've been there. I mean, I've seen Definitely. that it's, that it's Especially everywhere. Especially right now.
2: Yeah. How do Muggle children not
0: know about Quidditch?
1: Well, because wizards are secret. So soccer
3: slash football yeah, but- is not a secret. They don't really want to educate themselves on Muggles. Yeah, wizards don't pay attention to Muggle culture.
0: And it probably would seem terribly boring to a to a wizard child, wouldn't it?
3: Yeah, that's that's what I talked about when on the on the recording
2: I sent you about how wizards don't really care about Muggles, so Muggles have an advantage of you know getting to do whatever they want and nobody caring sure. and stuff. Ooh. That's yeah. true.
1: That's plus, true.
2: Plus, plus, they know
1: math. <laughs> nice. They do. That's yeah. right. Muggles do no math. That's true.
3: But yeah, football would really be boring to wizards. I mean, they're just running around a field, kicking a ball around. Yeah, I mean, but even there's, there's but, no flying or anything. But even that, shouldn't they at least know what it is? I mean,
1: like I said, it's a pretty large part of English culture in general.
0: Sure. I I don't know. The the cultures even within countries are just completely split, it, it, and that's it's, how it's been.
2: It's the same thing. Like when Ronald was like, "You don't know about Quidditch." What? Or about the fairy tales? Yeah. How can you not know that? Every wizard knows that. Yeah. Same thing.
1: Okay. So suddenly Harry's broom starts bucking and he says it's as though it's going to throw him off. And Hermione, being the bright witch that she is, quickly realizes that somebody must be jinxing the broom. And what do you know? She sees good old Snape staring right up at the broom, whispering something. So she heads over and tries to stop him from, you know, hurting Harry. And in the process, who does she knock over? Quirrell. Here he is again in the background, you know, just waiting to be revealed as the bad guy. Yep. Did anyone- there's, there's a little problem here. Because she knocks over Quirrell, and then she sets fire
2: to Snape's robes, and then it takes him 30 seconds to realize it, and then Harry stops falling off his broom. Or almost falling off his broom.
3: Right. But she doesn't knock over Quirrell, does she? I thought that no, Snape she does. knocks over Quirrell. She does. She, does. she, prom- she no, bumps into him and knocks that's him in the over. Movie. Okay. Yeah. In the
2: movie, Snape knocks him over. Ah, okay. But here... There's like a delay when with the curse when it stops working.
0: Oh, interesting point. Maybe Voldemort is at this point still trying to keep it going um, on his end, even though Quirrell seemed to be the one who was first starting it. But then perhaps someone sits on Quirrell's, the, the, the back of his head or something. <laughs> or at least that's what I'm going <laughs> to Yeah, but that. I don't
1: think Voldemort's the one doing the magic. I think Quirrell's the one doing the magic because, you know, what can Voldemort really do besides kind of stick out the back of his head?
0: And talk very evilly into his ear i don't
1: know <laughs> right so i mean is this like a book error or
0: no it maybe just takes a few seconds to you know for the magic to wear off well, I don't for know. harry
3: to realize i mean it could just stop moving and then suddenly be jerking him around again it, it doesn't necessarily um, have to be kind of constantly bucking every every single time right yeah but 40 seconds that's a long time
0: you know what? I found another error in the in the next chapter. So we can we can really talk about this the subtle, you know, miss the subtle mistakes in here. But that's I mean, I'm nothing to worry about too much. I would say.
1: Okay. So then here we get is the first all important snitch grab. Harry, as we know, nearly swallows this first snitch that he ever catches. And did this seem odd to anyone? Did anyone look at this and say, "Hmm, this is going to be significant"? I mean, personally, I can't imagine not choking on that snitch if you were trying to catch it while flying and you accidentally you know caught it with your mouth i don't know yeah it's a walnut
2: a walnut-sized ball sticking in your mouth yeah Ugh,
0: it's not fun going the gender politics route i wouldn't uh it's just terrible that harry's going around eating women you know you don't want to see that <laughs> 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 that's a joke <laughs> go on my
2: If I had been a seeker, I would have probably caught it that same way too, which is why I wouldn't have ever been a seeker, but still.
0: You know why this happens? Because the Dursleys didn't feed Harry when he was young.
1: So he just eats everything that is flying in front of him? He's not Crab and Goyle.
0: (laughs) He's just, he's really starved, but (laughs) anyway. That's
3: that's the thing, he did almost choke on it. He, He has to cough to... For it to fall out into his hands. Yeah, I mean,
0: he certainly wasn't trying to do this. He he wasn't going mouth wide, I'm going to dive in and this is going to be a great idea. I know, but
1: how does it end up, like, how does he end up catching it in his mouth? I mean, he obviously must have had, he he flies into it. (laughs) He flies into it. But maybe he's
2: just used to eating really not fresh stuff with the Dursleys.
0: (laughs) That's right.
2: So that's how that's how he managed to not choke.
0: They they throw a few nuts, a few nuts under the door, walnut-sized objects. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh,
1: poor Harry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So af- so after he proclaims very excitedly that he you know caught the snitch and everybody leaves the match and um, the trio is in Hagrid's hut chatting with him and um, I want to thank Snape Escape on the forums for pointing this little tidbit out. Um, in the book it says you know harry mentions fluffy and hagrid says that he bought him off a greek chappy that he met in the pub last year and mm-hmm. snape escape said oh look it's cerberus i mean because cerberus
3: was greek definitely. oh Yep. <laughs> i think that's definitely jkr putting a little hint to cerberus there yeah she's
0: she's a genius she's, <laughs> i just i love all the subtle homages <laughs> to classical culture isn't that great?
2: Yeah. Do we have to Do we have to point out every time that she's a genius? I think I think we do. <laughs> just I think the
1: whole book. I think it's I think we're obligated to point out her genius as often as possible. <laughs> yeah, just just maybe every episode of Willow should be like, "Hi. J.K. Rowling's a genius. Bye." <laughs> Perfect. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> um, so yeah, I thought that was a great little bit and thanks again for Snapescape for uh, pointing that out to me. Um, but then right here at the the very end of the chapter, while they're talking, Hagrid lets slip that Nicholas Flamel is involved. Did anyone pick up on this the first time through? Because, as we know, the name had been mentioned before. You know, Harry read it out loud on the Hogwarts Express.
0: From the uh, the chocolate frog card. Yeah. But what stunned me more was the fact that Hagrid always is doing this. I mean, he, he I, I love the guy, but quite frankly, he can't keep <laughs> a secret and— I don't know. I don't think it's a matter of intelligence. It's a matter of just, uh, he doesn't
2: care. He doesn't, he doesn't he, notice.
0: He doesn't notice what he's doing. So he, you know, he, he kind of comes off as slightly, uh, dense. Slightly dense, slightly dim, unfortunately. And that's the, because he, he kind of has this, he, he's that, he's the village character, I guess. That's, that's his, uh, that's kind of his role. Great guy, but, you know, he, he's got to keep a lid on that. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, he is, he does have loose lips. That's true. But, but is he drunk most of the time? I mean, do we think that's part of the problem?
0: I think no. Potter and thinks it, that. But. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Hagrid's not drunk. I don't think Hagrid's drunk he's, most of the time. I think he's just like that in real life. Because we know when he's drunk. We know from book six. But just one question. Um, when you read the book for the first time, did you know who Nicholas Flamel was? Because he's actually not just a Harry Potter character. Yeah, he's actually I'd- famous.
3: I, I knew a bit about the Philosopher's Stone before I was reading it, so I, I did know um, about Flamel. So when I, when I saw his name in that chapter, I didn't um, recognize it as it was mentioned from earlier. I recognized it because I knew a bit about Nicholas Flamel. Um, you know, there's a
2: whole book series now about Nicholas Flamel. I was told it was good. I didn't read yeah, it. Yeah, my, my niece is reading it right now. She said it's great.
3: Really? What series is this?
2: Uh, Nicholas Flamel, The Alchemist, in some kind of order. Okay. I don't know.
0: Well, if any fan would like to pick that up and, you know, note the distinctions between the two or make connections, you can always go to more forums.
1: That's right. Yeah. That's great. So that's the end of Chapter 11 right there. You know, the trio learns that someone named Nicholas Flamel is involved, but they don't know who he is, so.
0: It's a great mystery. Mm-hmm. All right. Now it's time for Chapter 12, The Mirror of Erised. So... The chapter begins with Fred and George throwing enchanted snowballs at the back of Quirrell's head.
2: At Voldemort.
0: And we know that now that that's at Voldemort's head. So think if you're Voldemort at the back of Quirrell's head, just feeling this, like, just, ow, ow, gotta take over the world. <laughs> <laughs> this really sucks right now.
1: Fred and George would never have done that if they'd Voldemort.
2: No, see, Was
0: I oh, actually they? disagree. Oh, I think
1: that they would, because Fred and George have yeah. so much fun at Voldemort and everything having to do with... The dark arts. Um, throughout the entire series, I think this is beautiful. No. It's it's perfectly, friend George. I love it. It's great. Cat,
0: cat. They're third. You got to remember, they're thirteen right now. They know Voldemort has been a common name in the household for, you know, their entire 13 lives. Years. And they're not correction. Gonna...
3: Voldemort itself wouldn't have been a common name.
0: They're That's not true. allowed
3: to say it. I had a common
0: you know a common idea at least. Yeah. They would not. They would. <laughs> the funny business would end there if. They're throwing snowballs at Voldemort's head. I would say that's probably a bad idea.
1: No, see, yeah. uh, no, I think it's I think it's perfectly friend, George. I mean, you, you think if, you know, if, Poo? Come on,
0: cat. But they're thirteen. You think, in full knowledge of Voldemort's head being on the back of girls in whatever weekend state he is, they would still do this? Really?
1: Absolutely. They're Gryffindors. They don't care. They're brave.
0: I completely disagree. I think Voldemort. They would. They would not do that. Uh, anyway, we can.
2: We can I could imagine I could imagine that in the final battle If they had the chance They would have thrown snowballs at him They would have done Absolutely. that Absolutely That's what I'm saying but
0: Okay But
3: maybe Yeah maybe as 13 year olds I don't
0: think as 13 They would I want to do that You know maybe
3: I think it's a moot point That I mean If anyone knew that Voldemort was there Then they wouldn't be standing there Throwing snowballs They would be trying to get Voldemort
0: I not know I think they'd just go no, to Dumbledore no. If they knew it but.
3: That's probably true Okay
0: So we know it's a, it's a very stormy, like, number of days, or at least that's how the chapter opens. And it's, it's a terrible winter storm. Hogwarts is covered in snow. And we get this line about how the few owls that managed to battle their way through the stormy sky to deliver mail had to be nursed back to health by Hagrid. And, uh, uh, and I just thought, animal, animal cruelty, anyone? These animals, again, you know, I know, I know the mail delivery men, you, you know, you go in any storm. But now they're having owls do it? You know, I, I'd say a certain storm kind of, at a certain point, requires hand delivery by a mailman who, frankly, can just kind of use uh, flu powder. Uh, you
1: know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah but I mean, he... e- even in, like, <clears throat> excuse me, the U.S. postal system, like, the mail has to be delivered. They don't stop just because there's a storm or there's snow or anything, and I feel like
3: owls have
1: kind of the obligation to deliver the mail no matter what.
0: Yeah, but I mean, that so owl... Why
3: doesn't the the postal service use the flu network? I mean, you could you could send things. The, send the post to somewhere closer and then send an owl for the last bit. Yeah, but we've already, pre- you know, we've already
1: shown several times that wizards generally don't care about this kind of thing. They don't see it as being cruel or, you know, unusual.
0: And the owls probably don't either. It's just kind of learned behavior over centuries. But well, yeah, and- I mean,
1: plus, I mean, they're used to living outside, so they're used to going through storms and all that stuff, you
3: know. I guess it's kind of like homing pigeons. They have to find their way home eventually as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. In any
3: weather. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and maybe the owls even take pride in being able to do it in any kind of weather because that's their their business.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They are very proud creatures. S-
0: still, I mean, they should be using the flu network themselves. Wobble through. <laughs>
1: can owls use the flu network?
0: I mean, I they can't They
1: can't
3: speak.
0: But they can – they have a degree of – they're smarter than, mo- you know, normal owls because they can – they take yeah, the money then- and they-
3: well, they can't say yeah. Alley. Right?
2: Yeah. If if they use the if they use the flu network, then what would be the point of using owls? They could just wizards could just throw letters into the flu network. I
0: was network. I was thinking about throwing the owl into the no, into no the I was talking Diagon about, about animal cruelty. <laughs> 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 and that's not animal abuse. No, because it's not flying through the storm. That, like it's a it's a. Moon yeah, point, just but.
2: just throwing an owl into a fire <laughs> and yeah. letting it go through a, a few sooty. It's a magically um, enchanted
0: fire. But that, yeah, but think
3: about the state of Harry when he gets out in in Alley. <laughs> Poor owls.
0: Yeah, well, um, what's my next comment? <laughs> um, so the trio come out of potions class and they immediately run into Hagrid once again. And the trio tell him that they've been looking for Nicholas Lamel's name in all the library books. And he says, you what? I've told you. Drop it. It's nothing to you with that dog's garden. And I was just wondering, you know, Hagrid again not very not the greatest idea if you really want to get somebody off your tracks or off the track of what's being hidden you don't tell 11 year olds that oh it's no business to you. you you know you you best not be looking there
1: <laughs> yeah i mean he obviously doesn't understand the concept that telling someone not to do something will only lead them to do exactly the thing you wish they wouldn't so i mean especially when they're 11 yeah i mean yeah. It, i mean despite the fact that he's around kids all day i don't think hagrid is one to Absorb that type of lesson,
0: you know. You know, is it fair to say that his uh his social skills have been slightly stunted ever since he was expelled from Hogwarts? Yes, because making being made ever the since he was
2: born to a giantess,
0: maybe. You know that contributes too. You know, he is the in a way a foreigner to uh, to the students because of his you know difference of abilities and obviously his size, but also because he was expelled at a young age. He just didn't have the the close relationships, you know, in his upper teenage years I guess outside of the marauders but he was always an outsider.
1: Yeah I mean it's kind of like a like a homeschool student being pulled out after 3rd grade and not really developing any other further friendships or social skills whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Not to say that
3: homeschool students
1: don't get to have friends or anything. Well right exactly I'm just saying <laughs> that they're not in that environment every day all day you know kind yeah. of learning the 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 social ways of the school itself. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's also probably why he can't lie, why he's such a pure spirit, because he, he never grew up to, you know, learn the natural de- deceptions of of adulthood. Or, you know, to learn that skills. the truth
2: is a beautiful and terrible thing Ex- and must be treated
0: with caution. Exactly, Maya. He's just, he's going to openly say it to everyone. Right. So that's why he instantly kind of is very friendly with these 11-year-old kids, because it's just, it's just, it's very natural for him to talk openly.
1: Right. Mhm. He's just a very honest person, I think. Which is great.
0: We love Hagrid.
1: We do. Why? Wait, what house was Hagrid in? Gryffindor. Mhm. Why wasn't he in
2: Hufflepuff? Ooh. He's such a Hufflepuff. He, he's he's like honest and loyal and
1: but kind. I I, but I think his bravery above all else is his kind of defining characteristic. In the same way that Hermione is brave, you know, he doesn't really care. Well, with the exception of what happens to him in in book 4, but he doesn't really care about what people think about him.
0: And if we want to say that your sorting is a matter of your values, I mean, he really worshipped James, I believe, James and Sirius and the Marauders and, you know, people willing to do brave, exciting, adventurous things.
1: Right, except that Hagrid was sorted, like, years before the Marauders arrived.
0: I'm just saying he's, <laughs> yeah, the, of, the, he's, he probably... he's of the temperament to be very, like, worshipy of these people. Right. Look at Dumbledore. Look at his praise for Dumbledore.
1: But that's, I mean, but that speaks to me of a Slytherin because that, you know, that's them being in awe of power, wanting power, wanting to surround themselves with powerful people. Hagrid doesn't want power. No, but...
2: Hagrid uh, lives in a tiny hut with a dog and takes care of everybody else. Right,
1: but I I, I was thinking of what Noah was saying about how, you know, he's in awe of all these people and...
0: It could be your virtues that sort you, really. Yeah. Or... Wow, all these houses are really blending, aren't they?
2: They really are. Yeah, yeah. but that's a Hufflepuff trait again—admiring everyone and not admiring them, but more like um, putting everyone before you, like you said at the beginning, and kind of um, being selfless. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, being selfless exactly, and loving everybody.
0: <laughs> and being, you know, being willing to doing a tough job. You know, that's certainly Hufflepuff. Right, hardworking. Being, yep. And that's that's definitely Haggard, working in the fields there. But, I always uh,
1: thought he should have been a Hufflepuff.
0: Well, if, you'd, if any fans are listening and want to comment on this, feel free to go to the forums and we'll figure out just what Hagrid is and we'll discuss that on the next episode.
1: Exactly. Good.
0: <laughs> so, page 199, um, Ron actually introduces Harry to some wizard's chess, which we learn is exactly like muggle chess except the figures are alive. That's a direct quote from
2: How the do they come back? How do they come back after they kill them? So- kill them?
0: The chess pieces. I mean yeah. I think uh, when they do fight each other they're they're only kind of tattered I'm not sure that they're completely obliterated. I'm
2: sure you could magically put them said, back together again though. That too. But when Ron went into the into the giant chess set and then the queen or somebody smashed one of the pieces he was like oh this is just like real chess like real chess. Yeah I mean chess. I
1: mean that's what Reparo is for right?
0: Yeah I'm sure they yeah. all magically come together in some form yeah. uh, at the end of the game but we know that from a from a quote in the book that like Ron's pieces looked really tattered or, or maybe it was Seamus's set so after a while they kind of get these like battle scars which I'm sure is true mm-hmm. and we know that they kind of talk to each other about the you know best strategies uh, Seamus' pieces keep telling Harry what to do and they don't quite trust him so this is just problematic to me that we have these enchanted piece like things that think almost like they're alive and they're forced to battle each other you know at the mercy of 11 year olds who use them so <laughs> ouch yeah again sentient creatures that Joe has created kind of kind of troubling the you know the extent to which they're damaged I, and they they like to damage each other
1: I don't think they're sentient creatures though I think they're just charmed to think you know they it's not like they're you know like the hat yeah. the hat goes on fire right he doesn't care Right, I mean they're they're not departed souls and they're not like in theory or anything I think that they're just clever chess pieces that have been charmed to I don't know, learn from the user, much like a wand.
0: Sure. I'm just just saying there's a lot of lot of ambiguity here.
3: Yeah, no, it's true. They always reminded me a bit of Jumanji.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah.
0: The pieces?
3: Yeah. Things that move around the board by themselves.
1: Yeah. Oh, a lot less ominous than Jumanji though, huh?
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it's probably fair to say they can't think about anything other than the chess game. That's probably everything that consumes their lives. Oh and yeah. You couldn't you couldn't just like talk to them about the day's news, I'd assume. No, they, probably you, not.
3: Yeah. I don't so, yeah, they don't talk. They they're not intelligent in that way. They have to be ordered when they move.
0: No, but it's Rosie, they they do talk. They they like there's a line in the books about how they're talking to Harry, like giving him advice about what to do. Don't move him, move that one. We can afford to lose that
2: oh, yeah. one. I forgot about that. Don't send me there. Can't you see his knight? <laughs> send him. We can afford to lose him.
0: Yes. So that you see sense. Problematic for me, but we'll. Uh,
2: yeah, why? Why am I reading the quotes?
0: Because you're you're a great guest <laughs> fan. That's now.
1: right, you are. <laughs> Yay.
0: <laughs> um. So, page two hundred. Christmas morning. Harry wakes and he has presents for the first time. He has a Weasley sweater from Molly, and which I sort of took to be a little bit of foreshadowing that he's going to be a Weasley himself one day, or at least part of the Weasley family. I never thought of that. Uh, that's I not think I saw
3: it as foreshadowing. I just thought it was nice and accepting. Harry doesn't have a family, and and Mrs. Weasley knows that she wants him to be included in her own.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Eventually, I, he Yeah, is. I think Molly's just a really super loving, caring mother, and just kind of feels for Harry. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. But, but so I can all, but I can
1: see what you mean by the foreshadowing. I all know, right, I know so we all what
0: agree. What? We all agree that's foreshadowing. So going on <laughs> the, <laughs> the uh, and then he gets uh, from Aunt Petunia. And Vernon, it's, uh, he gets a nice letter talking about, we've received your message, here's your gift, and it's just attached to a 50-pence piece. So, uh, you know, Rosie can tell us exactly what that can buy you.
3: Um, how much is less that? Less than a packet of sweets?
0: Yep. So <laughs> that's about how much they care about him, it would seem.
1: Less than a packet
0: of sweets? But you know, it's the thought that counts. This one <laughs> seems to be more of a negative thought, but that's not important.
1: Well, I mean, it's better than the dirty sock. Definitely. I would take That's, I'd take 50 yeah. pence over a dirty sock
0: you wouldn't if you why don't give him
3: a sock
1: they they could have just given him
3: nothing 50pence piece um within children's literature especially in England is really interesting because um there's a book series and it, it used to be a TV series as well called the queen's nose um which is about a 50 piece coin 50 pence coin um that if you rubbed the queen's nose you got wishes granted
0: hmm
3: <laughs> um, so it, it has its own little kind of bubble what? of literature around it. So, was that written prior so to this book? So did Harry... It was, yes.
0: Okay.
2: Oh. So did Harry rub the 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 money <laughs> on someone's nose?
1: <laughs> no, I think he gave it to Ron, and then maybe if Ron had seen the series, but oh, I guess the cultures don't clash, so he would have never seen the series, so he wouldn't know no. that he could be rich from a 50 cent piece. No.
2: Maybe if, since Ron is the king, right? <laughs> and then he marries Hermione. He marries Hermione and she's the queen. Yeah, because they sing Ron Weasley's our king. And then she marries he marries Hermione and she's the queen. And then maybe if he rubbed, rubbed the money on her nose, <laughs> then then <laughs> he would have gotten his way to just, marry that's her. That's just very
0: silly.
3: I did not know. <laughs> the image of the queen said is said on, liked, it's on the fifty p coin. Uh, you said he liked crazy theories. <laughs> here's an
0: aside, Draco Malfoy would be getting having a field day with this conversation right now. <laughs> yeah, he really? would. That that Ron <laughs> is getting very excited to see this fifty pence piece.
1: That's true. <laughs> but yeah. it's very sweet. It is very sweet. It's very kind of Harry to give it to Ron. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, and there's one other gift. And as we know, it is the invisibility cloak left for, by Dumbledore, who chooses not mm. to sign his name because he's just mysterious. Um, and the note the note says, the note reads, Can some, does someone have that quote ready?
1: Yep, right here. It says, your father left this in my possession before he died. It is time it was returned to you. Use it well. A very Merry Christmas to you.
0: All right, so I had a ton of interesting you know, thoughts about this. I'd like to start with, um, we, we, we know now, having read all the books, that Dumbledore took the cloak because he realized it was a deathly hollow and he wanted to study it, you know. But do you think he feels eternally guilty having taken it, you know, and taking it from them when perhaps they needed it the most to possibly save themselves from Voldemort?
1: I mean, I, I'm not sure if he feels guilty, but I think he's definitely ashamed at the fact that he wanted to look at it so bad that, that, yeah, that he had it when they could have used it. Although, like I said, I don't know if it's guilty. I think he feels more ashamed about the way he felt about it. That's another one of Dumbledore's mistakes.
2: He still has that kind of the, the desire hollows in mind. The, that, this yeah. des-
0: reckless desire for the hollows, which sometimes gets mm. steps in the way of his uh, logic.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and by the way, um, in the movies they say "Happy Christmas." I was always wondering, do you say "Happy Christmas" in the UK? Seriously. Yeah, I was like, really? Yeah, we do.
0: The British do, yeah, Maya. Do you
2: cool. guys not? <laughs> <laughs> was,
0: they also. Uh, I
2: don't know. I I always heard just "Merry Christmas."
0: They also. And plus, the we don't the... have
3: we don't have Christmas. We don't no, have Christmas. Cause... We have Hanukkah. That's what I wanted to talk about actually. The wizard, wizarding community. Still seems to be yeah, kind of religion. inherently Christian.
0: Yeah, and maybe
3: and, maybe just in Britain.
0: Yeah, sure, and maybe in other schools like in like in Durham it's it's slightly different. But it would yeah. seem that at least within these books, it's it's kind of only Christmas, and that's you know that's that's fine. Um, I think it's been the answer to a lot of people who read uh, religion in the series, and they say, "Oh, look at look at the fact that they're actually celebrating Christmas here. This is a Christian work deep down." But you know, then again. We're just celebrate trying to accurately pagan things
3: as well. So. They
0: celebrate pagan things as well, the whole idea of magic, the whole idea of Lily's sacrifice at the beginning. Yes, it's a it could be a Christ metaphor, but then again you have a woman being the sacrificial person and the spirit that kind of overrides the whole thing, and that seems more pagan because mm-hmm. it's it's more feminine. Like there, there are so many so many different ways you can spin it. And then at the end of the day, we're trying to you know, Joe is capturing a real, you know, school with, with students in the UK, an exciting time they're gonna celebrate Christmas, you know? Like that's
3: But that ties into our, our football discussion from earlier. Um, the whole idea that if it's kind of uh borrowing culture from just England in general, then yeah, maybe wizards should have known about football because it's it's something that is so inherently um part, of, English the part of the culture.
0: Right. So I guess there's something to be said by the fact that the celebrations of Christmas seem to be the only things that are are like tied between the two communities that seem very, very similar.
3: Yeah. Like,
2: but if there was a a school, a wizarding school like in Israel, I always thought about that. What what would they celebrate? What how would it be different? Well, your
1: your religions and your, you know, your holidays, I would imagine. And, you know, I the wizarding world is only as different as the people in the schools, so Right. Yeah. The Jewish school of witchcraft and wizardry. <laughs> that would
0: be cool. <laughs> there you go. Maya, I'm I'm Jewish, and this is this kind of aside, and doesn't have to be a long conversation, but do you see uh, uh, magic anywhere in Judaism, or do you see any kind of ties between the, the two faiths at all?
2: Well, obviously, what I think is really kind of stupid is when, sorry, is when, um, like, religious people are like, oh, no, magic. You can't read Harry Potter because magic. But isn't God kind of magic? And that's... Yeah, i don't know yeah, well, so. no. why
3: would they in um i i work in a bookshop um in in my hometown and we um when we had deathly hallows being released there were people who bought boxes of books to burn um what because they well they were that, g- that gives them more money thought, yeah it gave us more money but it meant it was just such a waste and i just Absolutely. i don't understand how people don't can't see fiction as fiction
1: and if you don't care about, I mean, if you're that against it, I mean, personally, like the things that I'm against, I mean, yeah, I just kind of ignore it. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not a wasteful person, and I feel like that's that's just hateful. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't. Yeah, see yeah the need I wouldn't for that. buy. I
2: don't buy certain books that I don't like and burn them, right. even though sometimes I feel the need to, but I don't. Right.
0: I can understand where it's coming from. Harry Potter has become such a cultural phenomenon that if people were legitimately concerned that it, uh, you know, came with the symbolism of witchcraft and this affected readers on an unconscious level, then you know I could see people getting a little upset. The, the, the truth of the matter is that Harry Potter has been ingrained in us so much that we do identify with a lot of the the value systems in them. But I don't think you can limit all of those to either any one faith or any one. Uh, point of
3: view no, the the general things the general messages about love about bravery about all of that kind of thing that are inherently human not
0: which all faiths have to
3: in some religion. degree right exactly yeah okay so getting back to
1: dumbledore and the invisibility cloak
0: right i have some more <laughs> thoughts about it uh you know the fact that uh we know that the cloak is passed down by father to son or you know mother father to child um we, it's interesting here that the inheritance cycle is continued, but Dumbledore is the one who gives the cloak to Harry. So I just thought it was really interesting that there is kind of a law of inheritance of, of objects here in the magical world that Dumbledore seems to be subscribing to. I, I guess James probably left the cloak for Harry in his will, maybe? or
1: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But then why wouldn't the Ministry—I mean, maybe the Ministry just assumed that it got blown up with the house?
0: Perhaps. No, but if they knew— did the ministry know about the about the cloak? They didn't know it was a Deathly Hollow.
1: No, th- no, because not, most people don't believe in that. So what I'm saying is they probably just thought it was a normal old invisibility cloak with the you know the charm on it
3: and yeah. and it got blown up in the house, so why worry about it?
0: I'm sure that's true.
3: And even if they did know that Dumbledore had it, they would have trusted Dumbledore to keep it in his possession and pass it on to Harry when the time was right.
0: Because they if didn't have have been in
3: the house. If it
1: had been in the house, would it have been blown up? No, I think they're in. Uh, well, with the stupid exception of Harry snapping the elder wand in half, I, I would. <clears throat> I would like to say that they're probably pretty invincible.
0: Well, not they. It as a Deathly Hollow separates it from all other invisibility cloaks. But that's, I'd say. I meant the
1: Hallows in general. Yeah.
0: We we know that.
2: Like you can just snap it in half. The, the, <laughs> the wand. The wand. So why not? Why not the cloak? If you're the
0: master of the wand.
3: Isn't it one of the qualities of the cloak that it doesn't tarnish?
0: Mm-hmm. it doesn't tarnish and it can reflect spells to some degree right
3: yeah so it's got an it's got kind of a inbuilt um security defense system.
0: yeah <laughs> so i think it would have been fine
3: yeah i think so too so you can't
2: ruin it you can't do anything to it
0: ever no i you mean I've but you wouldn't want to what, what, what where does frodo throw the ring at the end of the <laughs> In mount doom <laughs>
2: Oh, no. Don't tell me. I, I'm reading it this summer. Don't tell oh, me. Oh, my.
0: Well, you can throw the cloak over Mount Doom oh, okay. if you want to destroy it.
1: Hide Mount Doom. <laughs> yeah. I think Mount Doom is already gone, though. So...
0: <laughs> anyway. Anyway, okay. <laughs> um, what else? Okay. Even more on the cloak. Um, we know the whole mentality of the invisibility cloak is to kind of hide from death or to you know save yourself from it and not go off chasing it. And I was wondering, is this this idea of the cloak counterintuitive to the ideology of Gryffindor, which is to say, you know, you're always facing, you know, death for your loved ones? So is but
2: hide from it.
0: So is cloak? Yeah, cloak. The cloak seems to be a way of hiding from it. Isn't this? Isn't this right?
2: But that's not Gryff. That's the opposite of. That's Gryffindor. what I'm saying. Isn't hiding from death?
0: Isn't so? Isn't the cloak the opposite of Gryffindor oh, in mentality? Of the I waves. thought you said.
2: I thought you meant that it represents Gryffindor. No, I'm saying, isn't it yeah.
0: counterintuitive to Gryffindor yeah. thoughts? Yeah.
2: It is, but when when she says he she says he hid from death, but she's saying it's okay, and that's like the whole opposite of what she's been saying all of the seven books.
3: She's saying it's okay, death is okay. It's important to note that whenever anything important happens, whenever Harry faces his actual enemies, the the cloak is always taken off. He'll use it to get to a to a place or to to achieve an end. Um, but when he has to face, when he has to face the actual kind of battles, he will do it without hiding. That's true. He uses it
1: more as a device to get him to that final part where, where he can be brave because if he didn't have the cloak, it wouldn't enable him to be, to get to that point to show his bravery or his
0: courage. That's true. Yep. Just something I want to throw out there. Seemed interesting. Um, Harry and Ron make it to the feast, and it is quite a feast. There's tons of different food, which, uh, Rosie, you're probably more familiar with than anybody else here. <laughs> you know, they're eating, uh, how do you pronounce, chipolata? Yeah, chipolata. Chipolata, crumpets, the kind of sausages. trifle.
3: Yeah. Do you guys not have this, trifle?
0: We don't really. No. No, no. This are, not here Hmm. So I think a lot of Americans who read the series, like they saw all this and they associated all the food with the magical world. But this is actually, you know, pretty common UK fare. British food. Yeah.
2: You know, do you know the Harry Potter unofficial cookbook?
0: Of course you we do. That? Yeah, we feature it constantly so, on
2: the site. Dina, yeah. They just, they just translated it to Hebrew and I wanted to buy it. And I was like, mom, please. And then she looked at it and she was like, oh no, that's just normal Just regular recipes. Why do you want (laughs) that? Exactly, just food.
0: And uh, I was kind of thinking about the food, and I was wondering if if there was some way we could kind of read into it and see, uh, take a little bit more. I know there's a silver – Percy's eating a slice of turkey, and there's a silver piece in it, and I was wondering if there's any kind of traditional story of there being –
3: Oh, yes. Um, Is there? Yeah, it's a tradition that goes back to um, the Victorian period to hide – a coin or other kind of gift, yeah, um, really. within a, within a meal. Um, and it's meant to be lucky. It's meant to be a a, a good thing, supposedly. Right, that's I what think, that's what I've
1: heard too. Yeah.
3: Yeah, most people don't do that these days, um, but Hogwarts is one for traditions. So. Well, and money's really dirty.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and this is just Rowling's. This is Rowling's homage to that era in, in yeah. text. It's so cool.
3: It's definitely kind of Dickensian, that kind of.
0: Yeah. Right, well, I'm so glad you. Malfoy would have out. liked
3: that. Malfoy would have liked to be there to tease them for finding coins in their food. Mm-hmm. But if it's normal for, if it's a normal tradition within the wizarding world as well, I mean, Malfoy would probably want to find the silver sickle. He, he would think of himself as better than anyone else and would want it. That's true. Yeah. But like, oh, you probably needed that coin. Good,
2: you got true. it or something. Here's another turkey. I'm not as clever as Malfoy. I wouldn't have...
0: Would you like to check the gravy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway. Um... And we at the high table with the staff, we have Hagrid drinking his wine quite heavily, and he for whatever reason kisses McGonagall on the cheek, who proceeds to giggle. <laughs> <laughs> the Hagrid her oh, McGonagall ship I have not seen any of, but what an interesting pairing that not a fan has brought up, but Joe has brought up to us. So Rosie, have you have you ever seen any uh any pairings of those two characters?
3: Um, not personally, but I'm sure they're out there. <laughs> I'll take that. Go to the fan fiction center of MuggleNet <laughs> and submit
2: your fan fiction wow.
3: of, Very much, of Hagrid Maya. and listen, McGonagall. listen to
0: this one. Thank yeah. you. We plug ourselves. Thanks, Maya. Yeah. <laughs> we need you to do I, that. I think
3: that moment is, is more to say that McGonagall was probably drinking as well.
1: Yeah, and I, I think yeah. it speaks to her fun-loving nature because I feel like, yes, we know her as this tight, you know, up uptight, kind of strict teacher, but... You know, again, we learn on Pottermore that she has a heart, she feels, she cares. So I, I think yeah. that this is just a glimpse into her softer side, albeit Especially the drunk side. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> How much drinking is at Hogwarts? I, I think we're going to see a lot of it as the books go on.
1: Yes, we yeah. are.
0: Which is fine. Especially be- Hagrid.
1: Yeah.
0: Hagrid. Fire whiskey. And fire whiskey.
2: <laughs> and fire whiskey. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> well, Hagrid. So then, wrapping up the chapter... Uh, Harry takes out his cloak He goes into the restricted section Looking for a book about Nicholas Flamel And he comes upon a book that is shrieking wildly, he runs away Because he hears Filch behind him, and Snape as well And he discovers the mirror of Erised Which uh, Is a lovely thing And at towards the end of the chapter Dumbledore comes is actually right behind him And, you know He has this famous quote, I don't need a cloak To become invisible And I'm, we're going to talk about the the mirror in uh, just a sec, but just thinking about Dumbledore, has he been stalking Harry and Ron? There's also a line from him about um, when he's talking about Harry, what what the mirror is. He says, and it showed your friend Ron himself as head boy. So not only is he there, there tonight, Dumbledore saw him this other night as well. So and we know he's been invisibly watching them. So I know Dumbledore is all knowing, but he's a little bit stalkerish. And I'm you know I he's there. He's eleven. I mean Harry and Ron are eleven. Dumbledore's like 150. I mean, generally this is kind of judged as weird in society.
1: No, I mean, I think Dumbledore was in the room enjoying the mirror. I mean, just as Harry was. I feel like even though he doesn't express it, you know, outwardly, his heart is broken. And he just wanted to be in that room to see what he saw, which is his family, just like (laughs) Harry did. And, I mean, no, I don't think he was stalking them. I think that he was, you know... Not taking his own advice, which he told Harry, you know, don't get involved in the mirror because it can't give you what you see. It does not
0: do well to dwell on dreams exactly. and forget to live.
1: Exactly. But think about the fact that,
3: that the mirror is there as well. I mean, at this point, it's in a classroom. It's not guarding the stone. Right. That's true. Right. It hasn't but been moved yet. Why is it? Right. We already know that so the
0: stone
2: if, is if in, Quirrell, in Hogwarts. If Quirrell had gotten in before that, if Quirrell had gotten in on <laughs> Halloween, he would have gotten the stone. Yeah. Easily, and by the way, if um, all of the teachers know about the stone and how to get to it, then how does Quirrell not
1: know how to get the stone? Because I think Dumbledore yeah. is the only one who knows what, um, how to get it out of the mirror. Yeah. So nobody's right. He must there, know yeah.
0: how to. He must know how to get past all the traps, and that's why he was able to do it. Because all the teachers must have been in on it from the start.
3: But I don't think Yeah, but maybe I think all the teachers want know, it. All the teachers know that the stone's there and they know that other teachers have given um challenges, but they don't know what those challenges are. Right. I
1: would sure? I would agree with that. Dumbledore is probably the only one who knows what all of them
3: are.
0: Teachers talk.
3: Yes, they do. But not about secret things that they know they can't talk about. Right.
0: <laughs> Except for Hagrid.
3: Maybe they do. But that that's that's Hagrid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, so therefore ends our discussion of Chapter 12. Oh. Uh.
3: <laughs> <laughs> our special feature for this week, because of its importance, um, is our Artifact Inspector on the Mirror of Erised. Um So we're going to look into kind of great detail about the mirror itself, um, about what it does, and about why it's important. Um, so... Let's start with the description of the mirror itself and the fact that it says, um, written backwards across the top of the mirror, I show not your face, but your heart's desire. Why do you think it's written backwards other than Erised being a cool name?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think. Cause it's a mirror. Oh. The whole
0: idea of the mirror is yeah, you can read it yeah. backwards.
1: Oh, okay, well, I'll buy that, but but I but I, th- but I think sense. too that it's it's kind of an object of mystery, and to just write it straightforward seems a little, um, not mysterious,
3: and pretty yeah. pretty transparent. So, did any of you not get that it was desire spelled backwards when you first saw it?
0: Oh, me certainly, because I was pretty young, but now it's quite obvious.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, quite I, a nice I, little kind of Easter egg for for people that are yeah coming to it.
0: Now, here's a question. Is it the heart's desire, or is it the mind's desire? It says heart's it, desire. I know it says heart's desire, <laughs> but just for the mere discussion point, is it... S-
2: if it were the mind's desire, then you would have known what it was. You wouldn't have had to look into a mirror.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So does this speak to a, a truer desire because your heart brain is, is more powerful than your brain brain?
1: Yeah, I think so because I, I feel like um, desire of the heart, I mean, kind of spe- – it speaks to the things in life that are seemingly unattainable, the things that you feel like you might never be able to achieve, the places you might never be able to get, the things you can never mm-hmm. go back to are, are what your – is what but, your heart truly desires and yearns for.
2: But – the mirror, Dumbledore says, it gives you nothing except just the obsession, more obsession with your desire. But Harry didn't know what his parents looked like and his family looked like before he looked into the mirror. So it did give him something. And without all of the, the enchantments that Dumbledore put on it for the stone, before that, it did give Harry it, just knowing what his family was like.
0: And, and how that's a great question. Real. How did the mirror produce exactly what these, these characters look like with Harry having never really seen them before at all? And, you know, them smiling at him, and, and Lily's crying in the mirror. It's, is he actually seeing these spirits, are, and are they looking back at him?
2: That's like the remembrall. how it can create a whole memory, even if you don't remember the exact memory. So the mirror can—not uh, the remembrall, the—, the pens- stone? What's it called? The pensive. yeah. Um, so that's the same thing with the mirror, maybe, that it just kind of— Knows somehow right,
0: right, exactly right The pensy If it can recall all the details Even if the memory is like Kind of f- fuzzy It, it really li- Legitimately puts you there
3: But, but um, And I love this I love this scene in the book So much more than the movie Because I mean In the movie it's important Because it's obviously his parents But the fact that and You get just to see them. all the Potters In the mirror It's a whole crowd of people Standing right behind him <laughs> Including um, Little old men um, Who have Harry's Knobbly With knees, knobbly knees. Right. <laughs> See, I, he, he's seeing his whole family I, I think for me it speaks to um, you know
1: again it, it says on there I show not your face but your heart's desire and I feel like you know there's a line that Sirius has later in the books that says you know the, the ones that love us truly never leave us so I feel mm-hmm. like these people live in Harry's heart it doesn't matter that he doesn't know what they look like because the mirror is reading Harry's heart and his family lives in his heart so that's where it's coming from for me
0: can I just make a plug from the Alohomora section real quick? As you no. wish. All right. Uh, there's a user named Midnight Crimson who actually wrote an essay all about the Mirror of Said, and it's currently featured. It's called The of Said from the Heart, which uh, actually questions if it's the mind's desire or the heart's desire, and I'd like to read a short section, section from it.
3: Go ahead.
0: So this is after she's made the distinction between the heart's desire and the mind's desire. I know. You're asking, is there a difference? I believe so. The heart's desire to me seems more inherent, more overarching and generalized and long term than the mind's desire. A heart's desire is more something like joy or balance or love. A mind's desire is rather like to find a man who makes me happy, or to know who my parents are, or to find a way out of this financial crisis. They all can possibly culminate into achieving the heart's desire, but are more stepping stones than an overall goal. They're also susceptible to time, crisis, development, they can change. Maybe at one point your desire is to find a job that you may love and are good at and become successful at, and maybe your loved one passing away and you realize all you want now is that person back in your life. Or is is it to have at least spent more time with them? So what would the mirror reflect? Would it change? And if it does, does it change the method of what we see? And that goes on. So that's wondering if the if the mirror changes based on life events. But it, it seems her overall uh, resolution is that the heart's desire reflects some like greater truth about you, which doesn't change. And you know, if it were, if it reflected your mind's desire, that would potentially change all the time.
3: Definitely, I think um, I I I wanted to draw the parallel between um, the mirror and Jack's. Um, Jack Sparrow's compass in Pirates of the Caribbean. Ooh. The idea that it shows you, um, or it points you in the direction of your your one true desire. Hmm.
0: Um, well, that one changes, we see
3: it, it? We, Yeah, and we see the mirror change for Harry as well. I mean, in that in that moment where um, he really wants the wants to get the stone, but not to use it himself, we see him getting it. Um, That's true. At, that, at that moment, that is his heart's desire. Right. Um, so. I wanted to ask, like, in the future of the books, um, would ha- if Harry had seen the mirror again, would he have maybe seen where the Horcruxes were hidden? Would he have seen himself with Ginny? Would he have seen any of those things come true once he kind have. of accepted that his family were still around yeah. in his heart? Yeah, I definitely think so. I bet, you know, like a few months into
1: camping and Harry, his deepest desire certainly would have changed. I think, I mean, although I think...
0: But that's a great question that Rose just asked. Could could the mirror have told Harry where the Horcruxes exactly were hidden, or would it have just shown Harry with all the Horcruxes destroyed? Well, that's
1: what I think. Mm-hmm. I, I think that he so much wouldn't have seen the Horcruxes, but he would see himself happy at the end of it all with Voldemort gone. With Ginny, um, yeah. I mean, I uh, the the you know the Horcruxes was just the journey to get to his desire.
2: If he had seen the Horcruxes, though, that brings us back to the theory that maybe Dumbledore was wrong about the mirror not helping you in any way except for making you more obsessed because Mm -hmm. it could actually give you you information. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But I I guess it wouldn't because I I believe Dumbledore that there's nothing. Then again, it it showed the Sorcerer's Stone in Harry's pocket. I just changed my answer. Remember?
1: Yeah, but but I mean that's because Dumbledore specifically bewitched it to do that, enchanted yeah. it.
3: Yeah, but is it though? Because at, at that moment, the whole point was that Harry didn't desire to use it himself. It was still a desire that changed the p- image in the mirror. Um, I I think that we have to take Dumbledore's speech there, whilst it is obviously really important. He 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 wants Harry not to be obsessed. Um, I think we need to to remember that he is talking about a very specific case he's talking about the the problems of trying to kind of resurrect the dead from a memory from the mirror in a way he's kind of talking about the resurrection stone um and and that whole idea that it it will never kind of fulfill your desire to just see it right okay i see what you're saying that makes sense um so i th- i think that desires can change and like an obs- you can be obsessed with one desire and in that sense, lose your entire life by sitting in front of the mirror because you're not experiencing other things to desire. Yeah. Um, so if, if you did go away and come back, it, you, you have potential to see a different thing in the mirror.
2: Did Dumbledore... What did Dumbledore see before Ariana died? I don't or
0: what would he have seen? Yeah,
2: what would he have seen? The Hallows?
0: Maybe himself in, in Great...
3: And the Hallows? Maybe himself in Grindelwald himself in the not. Hallows? It's possible? All happy, but that's <laughs> the thing. I mean, Dumbledore talks about seeing socks in the mirror. Maybe that was the last thing that Ariana gave him. Aw, no, I, I, don't think know. Socks, I, think he, I think he's lying.
0: Complete lie. Yeah. yeah.
3: Does Dumbledore?
2: Well, yeah, he said about the truth. He does. Dumbledore does lie.
1: Does a lot. He? Yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah.
0: Not to say he doesn't enjoy the nice frilly sock every now and then. <laughs> yeah. But uh, sure. He and he and Dobby can get a room somewhere. Anyway. <laughs> Is there any any other cool comments for our artifact inspection?
3: I wanted to talk about um, Ron's desire for a while. Um, The fact that he he sees himself wearing a badge like Bill and holding the Quidditch Cup because he's Quidditch captain like Charlie. Um, Yeah. How much of his kind of desire is built on his desire to be kind of accepted within his family? all I mean, of it's it. that,
0: and he's just, he's <laughs> extremely jealous, and this jealousy kind of ties through all the way to the last book, where he has to, you know, get past Harry and Hermione potentially being together.
1: I mean, I, I can't speak for the dichotomy of a large family, because I only have one brother, and he's um, older than me, but I, I feel like if you came from a family of, you know, people who... A lot who, of people. Older people who were constantly doing great things, you know, like... All of his brothers were smart. They were prefects, head boys. You know, I mean, with the I mean, with the exception of friend George, but they're still great in a different way because they're, they're popular, popular. They have lots of friends. They're well liked. They're funny, and they still do yeah. fairly well in school. So I feel like for Ron, I mean, his desire is just to live up to the family name.
3: And not even just that. I think the the idea of, like Noah was saying, his jealousy. Yeah. Um, is is such an important character trait within Ron? I mean, if you think about how he reacts um, to the goblet of fire and Harry's name coming out there, um, and then the the jealousy with the relationship between Harry and Hermione when he's wearing the Horcrux, I think that um, that inherent idea of him not being good enough, of him not being popular enough, of him not being kind of the heroic character and being a sidekick, um, he is in. So afraid of that and his desire is to be better than that. How is Ginny not affected by this?
1: Is it just her personality that's Yeah, different? I think Ginny is a lot tougher than Ron.
3: Uh, but Ginny is also special because she is the girl, right? She's the she girl that her the... mother
0: always wanted. Yeah. And yeah. Ron knows this.
2: Yeah. She gets to be this one. She gets to feel like the the special one anyway, even though she's the youngest one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I
0: almost uh, I almost ca- caught a hint of it uh, when Fred and George come barging in with the with the sweaters that they're both wearing with F and G on it and they say, Oh, Ron, yours doesn't have a letter on it. I guess your mom d- I guess mom doesn't have to remind you who you are. And
2: No, he says that to Harry, doesn't he?
0: No to Ron. No, he Ron's says just to Ron, maroon. Yeah.
2: no Ron says
3: it. I thought Ron had an R on his.
0: No, it's just it's just a maroon sweater with no letter. So I think there was a slight comment about you're kind of this extra child here. Plus he Harry's
3: maroon and he keeps getting this colour. like is he not important in <laughs> her?
0: Yeah, whereas Harry is like a glowing emerald green with a big H on it.
3: Yeah. He's Does he tell his he doesn't like maroon?
0: What was that, Maya?
2: Does he tell? Does he tell his mommy doesn't like maroon?
0: Probably. <laughs> I don't know, who knows? He
1: probably says it in the whiny, Ron Weasley way, though. Yeah. yeah Mom, I don't like maroon. Exactly. But she just likes it on him. <laughs> yeah.
0: What a whiner. <laughs> Hmm. So
1: good. I mean, good discussion on the mirror. And if any listeners out there have any comments whatsoever, you know, feel free to go to the main site at alohomora.mugglenet.com or click on the forums tab and, you know, start a discussion there.
0: We'd be really interested to hear uh, how the mirror works. Let us know.
1: How you think it works.
0: How do you think it works? Is it affecting your brain or your – can it really look in your heart and – Additionally, can you can it tell you any secret information like it told Harry about the stone, right? Or was that due specifically to the enchantment?
1: And where is that editorial posted that you read from before?
0: Uh, that's that was by Midnight Sun. It's on the Alohomora in the Alohomor Quibble section, and it's currently featured. and It's called um, "The Mirror of Erised from the Heart." All right, so everybody check that out. That's a great essay. Okay, great. Thank you for that, Midnight Sun. Um, all right, so this is Noah's posed question of the week. All right, due to what we know about magical inheritance, especially with the invisibility cloak, we have it going from father to son, and we know with other certain objects there seems to be this sort of magical will in place, which we know at least in the last book the ministry could interfere with a little bit, but it seems to be this you know this established order of things. So I'm just going to throw it to all the fans out there: How does magical inheritance work? Can you leave anything to anybody? potentially, or, or anything that is concretely in your possession. And, you know, specifically with the cloak, do we think that Dumbledore gave this to Harry because it was part of this magical contract or because he, be- he thought this really belonged with Harry and do you think he could have kept it otherwise? That's the posed question of the week. Feel free to post responses to it on the main page of Alohomora.mugglenet.com.
3: Great. Well, thank you so much, Maya, for being our special guest this week. Uh, we've come Thanks. to the end of our show. Um, I yeah, hope you, you were great. I hope you enjoyed your discussions there. Yeah, you did
1: a great job. Thank you. Thank you. I had a lot of
2: fun.
3: Good. Do you
1: want to say hi to anybody as we're closing out here? Hi to all the
2: Potterheads. And thank you to Jo, the, even, like, if she ever hears this.
0: <laughs> Which maybe she, maybe she maybe Hopefully. She is. knows?
3: We can dream, right? Yeah. Um, if, if you want to be uh, the guest fan on one of our future shows, definitely go to alohomora.mugglenet.com and click on the podcast page um, and read our Beyond the Show section there. Otherwise, just make sure that you're, you're submitting content to the Alohomora website, um, either on the actual archive, on the forums, um, and you need to have appropriate audio equipment. So you need to have a, a good microphone and some recording software.
0: Or as best as you can. Just uh, feel free to submit to us, ask us questions, and we'll be happy to answer them.
3: And if you did want to be on the show, you need to send us a, a clip of you analyzing something about the books um, and email it to us at alohamorapodcast at gmail.com.
1: And if you want to get a hold of us in any other manner, um, feel free to follow us on Twitter. We are at alohamora m n m as mogul, N as in net. And our Facebook is facebook.com slash open the Dumbledore. And as we announced on the last show, you can now listen to the podcast right on the Facebook page. Just click on the podcast tab, choose any episode you want to listen to and enjoy it right there. Also, be sure to check out our Tumblr. It is mnalohamora.tumblr.com. And of course, the website that has been mentioned many times, alohamora.mugglenet.com. Uh, We do want to take a quick second to thank all of the new team members that we've uh, hired over the past couple weeks. Um, Notably, our editors, John and Patrick. Thank you so much. You make the show sound excellent. Yes, you do. Also, Chris, Jessica, and Laura, who's the new moderators on the forums. Thank you guys for keeping everything in check. And also the countless number of amazing transcribers. There are so many of you I couldn't even begin I mean, it would take 10 minutes to name all of you. But we want to thank them so much because we literally couldn't do it without them. So if you have any comments um, or want to get hold of us for any reason whatsoever, you want to be a transcriber, send us an application. You can send it to podcast at gmail.com.
0: Oh, and of course, don't forget to subscribe to our iTunes feed. That way you can enjoy enjoy the episode the minute we release it. And we love to see reviews from fans on on iTunes because that's like our biggest forum for it. So... You know, keep that up.
1: Yeah, we love getting them. So thank you so much.
0: All right. And that about wraps up our show. I'm Noah.
1: I'm Rosie. And I'm Kat. Thank you for listening to episode five of Alohomora. Open the
3: jungle
0: Guys, listen. I think I hear some music right now.
1: You do? Is it in your head?
0: No, no. Let me, let me open my door real quick.
1: Oh, someone playing piano. Do you hear that? Barely.
0: My brother's playing the piano. I'll tell him to shut up (laughs) because we're recording.
1: Lovely. Uh, (laughs) Hi, Noah's brother.
0: Seth, quiet down. I'm recording a podcast. (laughs) Shut up. Just please quiet down. I I have to do this. I'm sorry.